With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson, and we've got breaking news. Sam, play some sounds. Mm. Play something that says breaking news. Okay. Well, somebody will. What is the breaking news? Breaking news. We got a flash sale over at PFF.com. Flash, huh? Flash sale. Fantasy football season is here, and we're now offering 25% off any PFF subscription to all first time subscribers with the promo code FLASH25. I had no idea about this thing until today. That's why it's a flash sale. Flash yeah. 25, only now, only until August 10th. Today's August 5th. That gives you about six working days of access to this working thing. Days. Working days. Yes. Six days of Flash 25 for just $7.50. You get access to PFF's Fantasy Football Draft Guide, Player Rankings, Projections, all of PFF's locked article content, Cheat Sheets for Fantasy, which is pretty much all you need, the Cheat Sheet for Fantasy, so you can, you know, dominate your league. It's promo code FLASH25, 25% off any pff subscription they said to make it as as organic as possible that's pretty organic right oh yeah really organic nothing says organic like custom made sound effects for the flash sale well that's what we're doing here it's seamless people needed to know the flash sale happened because we did have a sale a few weeks ago and you know what the people loved it and we love the people so we're going to give them more people more sale opportunities anyway today we've got a couple things here's what we're going to do next four shows here's the plan we're going to preview every division. Every team will get somewhat equal love. Um, we'll always hate on at least one team. Usually somewhat the Chargers. We only love. spend like five minutes on the Chargers, and we'll spend 50 minutes on the Cowboys. You know that's inevitable. But we're going to give every team some level of love. But we'll start the show with something not breaking newsworthy, but just newsworthy stuff. Like well, Quentin yeah. Nelson getting The hurt. things that happened between the last show and this show, we will cover at, up top. Get it out of the way reaction to whatever has happened break or not breaking news but whatever has happened in the nfl world in between team previews before we get into the team preview so the biggest thing that happened between monday and now is quentin nelson has exactly the same freak foot injury as carson wentz and is therefore shut down for the same timetable which in and of itself is a bizarre five to twelve weeks 
that's quite a broad and specific. Five to 12. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a broad and specific and unusual time frame. Like, usually, if you're doing, if you're being that broad, you would say six to 12. I thought you might. Five to 12 is. I thought Dr. Monson might have uh, some insight into that. No. Well, the five to 12 thing, I think, is just because five puts him available for week one, and they don't want to rule that out. So, five to 12. Five to 12. As for insight into whether you can just. You could be available either week one or week 11. Yeah. Whatever that is. As for whether you can just remove a bone from inside your foot and rock on like there's nothing the matter i don't have insight into that well maybe you but should. it seems weird um what does this mean for the colts quentin nelson being hurt well long term probably not much i mean i guess it depends where in the five to 12 weeks that falls right if it falls in the five end of it nothing not, not a lot right yeah. they, they're both going to be available either week one or very soon at which point business as usual if it's week 12 and that drags on like most of the it would season, be week eight, right? I mean, whatever, week eight or nine, right? From, oh yeah, from week now, twelve yeah. in the. I threw you off in the uh, timetable. That's half the season gone. It means you know that's they're only giving up a second round pick. It means you're rolling half the year potentially with Jacob Eason, who could be anything, right? Could be passable, could be disastrous. You've no idea. And like, if they have to go half the year with Jacob Eason a quarterback, and he's awful. That's a really tough spot to be in because now, like, what do you do? Do you panic move and try and bring in somebody viable? Do you go to Sam Ellinger? Do you just try and accept that every one of these losses is bringing you one step higher up the draft? No, not in where the Colts are. They need to try to win. Right, but if you lose, if you don't have a quarterback for half the season, it's not happening, right? I I think the Colts need to start looking around for, depending on what happens with how long Wentz is out. Jimmy Garoppolo, Marcus Mariota. But none of those, those guys are likely to be long-term options, right? So you, you want to give up more for half a season, potentially, of one guy. Win the like, they can win the division with Jimmy Garoppolo. And next year, but, but if you do that, like next year you might have neither of them. Like Garoppolo or Wentz? Yeah. You give, you've already sunk at least a second-round pick at Wentz. You give up, well, let's say, another second for Jimmy G. I assume Wentz is back. Both of them are on monster contracts. And I don't think Jimmy G's value is that high, though. I'm just saying, you that's a really weird... That's a lot to commit to two quarterbacks that might not be your future. Yeah, it's a tough spot for the Colts right now. I, I think overall, they've done a pretty good job of team building. I've loved talking about the Colts. Uh, backup options for Quentin Nelson include Chris Reed, Jake Eldrenkamp, Will Freeze, seventh-round pick. Ta- it was a tackle out of Penn State that the, the Colts really liked in the draft. So there are... Uh, Danny Pinter, too, another guy that played guard in college that they've moved to, to center. Really good zone-blocking guard. None of those – first off, it's a guard, but it's Quentin Nelson, too. Yeah. I mean, it's the most valuable offensive lineman in the NFL, and there's a reason why they were the number two, borderline number one ranked offensive line for us. So it will hurt a little bit if he's not on the field. Sure. This is, by the way, Quentin Nelson's third third surgery this offseason. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... Which he tweeted when he... Or tweeted Instagram, whatever. He posted when he put this news out. It's adding up. That's a lot. I mean, I don't know if those were sort of... They needed to be sequential because of the pieces of his body he was working on. You got to (laughs) recover from one before you get to the next. But, like, that's a lot to be... For a guy his age, you know, working on this presumably record-setting contract... You know, I I know Brad Spielberg, our, our cap guy, was sort of tweeting, look, this won't make any difference to his contract. And it probably won't, I'm sure. But... Like, if you're looking at, I mean, if this is an extensive injury history, more extensive than than you believe from the outside, you know, just looking at him, hey, he plays, he's fine. 
three off-season surgeries. I don't know. That all I'm saying is that's that made me sit up and take notice when he yeah. when he posted that. It's like, hmm. Well, we all hope he's back sooner rather than later, yeah. and um, not a great time for the Colts at the moment. Some decisions to make both at quarterback and then figuring out what they do at left guard. If Carson, you know, if you have a good quarterback and you're just missing a guard, I mean, it's not the biggest thing in the world when you have other good players around him. So. Um, any other big news other than the Hall of Fame games tonight? We're recording Thursday morning. Yeah. So the Hall of Fame games tonight. We get actual to watch some football. football starts now. Mason kind Rudolph. Kind of actual football because it's Mason Rudolph against Ben DiNucci. But, you know, it's better than not football, right? Yeah. Let's not, let's not shun preseason and all these. We get to watch I'm these not, guys I'm play football. I'm just saying football. there's degrees of, you know, burying into the depth chart where it, gets, it starts to get rough. My general excitement starts really high early in the preseason. Week one, week two. And right when you hit about week three, I'm like, I'm ready to watch more Real than people. three passes from a starting quarterback. Yeah. I'm ready. I mean, that's the thing is it's it's more like the, the, the sort of specter of what you could be getting. Yeah. You know, I'm actually – if you just build it as like here's the here's the the rookies and, and backups, I'm, I'm, I'm in. But it's the fact that it's like, ah, oh God, now nah, I don't get to see any of the people I want. Uh, I like the rookies and backups sometimes. I oh, like one thing at, we, like haven't, we haven't covered yet. What's it's uh, heading into this weekend. It's the third and final Lions versus South Africa rugby test. I need to get your take on it. Where, it's one to one so far. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how do you think it's going to go? The third test. I'm decided. surprised. I'm surprised the Lions have performed as well as they did. I really? don't think they got it. Okay. How do you think the third test is going to go? Who are they playing? South Africa. Yeah. South Africa. South Africa going to take it? Yes. Okay. All right. There you go. Are they the favorites? Uh, probably. I haven't actually looked at the betting lines. It's but pretty close. They just won the second one, so they're in the ascendancy, I guess. They have the momentum. Yeah, yeah there you, you go. could even say. You could. Um, yeah, I, the rugby chat is, is fast and furious in our Slack channel. <laughs> I think I needed to mute it for a few minutes, and I'm going to come back with some insights. I, just, really I like when you chip in. I, I think your, your insights in there are, are I, amongst my favorite posts. I made an incredible Tom Jones joke that nobody besides Khaled got, I think. I mean, I got it. I just didn't think it was that funny. It was pretty funny. Yeah. All right, let's get into this stuff. Today's previews are the East. Always start with the East because we have biases the towards the East. There's more people there. There's more fans there. So we get the East out of the way first. Hmm. I'm just being honest. Okay. It's just what you do. I don't have any bias towards the East. Well, we do. In fact, I have no allegiance a, to any direction. As a podcast, compass. we start with the East. But we don't have bias against the West. So I think we hit the West on Mondays. How can you have... How can you have an Eastern bias but not be biased against the you West? You can be for the East but not against the West. No, you can't. Sure, because there's By a North and a South. If you're biased towards the East, you're biased against the West. Get out of here, Webster. That's how Listen, works. We're talking AFC East and NFC East today. That's eight teams. We're going to do it in under <laughs> two hours. We're going to get through eight teams. It is our season preview. It's only just occurred to me how ambitious that is. We're going to try... <laughs> Now, in the past, we've tried to preview the whole league in like a show, and then we realized well, we can't do that. Well, that was just silly, yeah. We tried to do the whole AFC right after the draft, and then you, you were like, all right, I'm, I'm, let's, just, let's just hit the AFC East today, right? Let's just yeah. hit this one division. So we're going to get through two divisions, AFC East, NFC East. We'll preview each team, and I want to go through, you know, overall, the roster strength, where their strengths and weaknesses are, but their best-case scenario, like what needs to come together – for this team to have a good season because it's it's positivity season, it's training camp, uh, but also what are the biggest question marks for each team as well? And we're going in random order too, because a lot of times we start with the Bills, we start with the Bills and we're really quick and efficient. We spend five minutes on the Bills and then you know ninety on you know the Dolphins. Yeah, we usually go alphabetically. 
No, we're not. We're going Miami it. Dolphins first. We're just going to go with some Because that's how I typed it into the into the chat, and we'll put the links to each team in the YouTube chat and in the yeah, we're gonna need show to. notes. Okay. All right, so we'll put the links in. Let's start with the Miami Dolphins. Yes. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about the offensive line being a big question mark, but also complimenting the Dolphins on their general team building over the last couple of years, building in the secondary, adding playmakers at wide receiver. Obviously, the big question mark, though, is what happens with Tua this season. Yeah, so the next challenge with our uh, our previews is going to be to avoid the things we've been saying for the last two or three Can months. Can we challenge each other to do that? So yeah. let's have let's a new take a on Tua. Right. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of new listeners, though, too. That's the, you, you have to balance that when yeah. you're podcasting. Right. I think our balance is skewed too far <laughs> towards repetition at this stage. Listen, my takes haven't changed in nine months. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. God, we're, oh, we're so close, though, to new things to talk about. I can't wait. Football's happening. There's actually going to be new things, new data points to be able to discuss, not just the same crap. For Tua's going to have months. one good game. We'll be, told you. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, as much as Tua is the focus and the, the sort of thing we've been harping on at for the last while, and it is clearly the most important thing for their future, um, I'm actually starting to think a lot more about that offensive line, which, you know, was bad last year there was this you know there was this furore because dolphins fans thought it was playing a lot better because they weren't giving up a lot of sacks but the dolphins had one of the fastest average times to throw in the nfl the fastest when fitzpatrick was the quarterback slowed down a little bit when tua came in um but it was then offset by like moving around you know when they started to roll the pockets and those kinds of things because tua has that athleticism so miami's offensive line was still bad last year and they looked at it and said kind of like the 49ers with their secondary a couple of years ago. No, we like the young guys. We understand there's going to be growing pains. Next year, they'll be better. They didn't really do an awful lot to address the offensive line. There's going to be some reshuffles. Um, Robert Hunt moving into right guard after a pretty good season of tackle. But really, if they're wrong, if that offensive line doesn't get better because the young guys just have a bit more experience, they're kind of in trouble regardless of what Tua does. And almost not just regardless of what he does, but it will obviously impact Tua. So Liam Eikenberg is like the one guy they've drafted who has a chance to come in and be an upgrade from outside. And as a rookie, you know, we know the perils of that doesn't always work as an offensive lineman. Just to, you know, cite or, you know, give you some numbers behind what you're saying. The Dolphins were 21st in pass blocking grade last year, 30th in run blocking grade. The run blocking thing has been just it you know sometimes some teams just have this weakness forever like the patriots can't draft wide receivers or whatever the dolphins have not had a good run blocking unit in forever no matter who the coach is no matter what is over there a few years ago it was jay ajayi you know like creating all of his yards after contact so the dolphin the, the offensive line is more than just the pass protection issue it's the run game right as well. and a big part of being as high as 20 21st was that time to throw you know, if you give them a more disadvantageous situation in terms of a quarterback holding onto the ball, even a league average amount of time, or not moving the pockets as much as they did, that offensive line would be a lot worse. I want to add more perspective to that too, because they the when you just look at time to pressure, so this is this is also part of the disconnect between the Dolphins' grade last year and pressure rate, so to speak. The pressure rate wasn't bad because, as you're saying, when you get the ball out, like Fitzpatrick did and like Tua did. The pressure rate isn't going to be high. The average time to pressure the Dolphins allowed was the fastest in the NFL. Right. 2.29 seconds. So which the really fast. Which is really, really <laughs> fast. The, the low end of that was the, was the Packers, 2.79. You're talking Aaron Rodgers, when he was pressured, 
had half a second more than the Dolphins. Now, some of those pressures are like Aaron Rodgers dances around and invites pressure late, and it might skew the numbers, but either way. But 2.79 is like... 2.79 is longer than a lot of quarterbacks average. The ball should be out than, by that yeah, anyway. Yeah. Most quarterbacks average time to throw. Meaning in like broad strokes terms, they are giving the quarterback more time than most quarterbacks need throughout the course of the season. Now Rodgers holds on to the ball a long time, one of the longest in the NFL. So for him, it's still there's still some pressure plays in there. But there are quarterbacks out there that don't hold the ball longer than that as an average and so just uh, remember the the study i did too we talked about this around draft time I, I went back and i looked at all of the rookie contract quarterbacks and said okay what mix did they have did they have great pass blocking did they have great receivers or receiving grade whatever it was what led to success and it was pretty much good pass blocking and good receivers it was both right as much as we preach here creep back to an average on the offensive line how you know you and, 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 you know, get as good as you can at, 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 you know, with playmakers and all that stuff. You really can't run a good offense if you don't creep back to an average. Or, and, it, and there's some benefit to having that top 10 caliber pass blocking offensive line. So I do think the Dolphins have done a great job of saying, Devontae Parker, you're a, you're a certain type of receiver. We're going to complement you with different types. And Will Fuller with his speed. Jalen Waddell with his speed. Mike Gesicki has emerged as a as a legitimate playmaking tight end. I, I love all of that stuff on paper, but I, I'm with you. I think the story and the biggest question mark for Miami this year is that offensive line. And if they do get to that middle of the pack, then all the pressure is on Tua and he'd better perform. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are other, the only other, I think, the only other thing that would be in the mix with that is their secondary, which they loaded up on in terms of talent byron jones xavian howard are they going to get xavian howard happy by the time the season rolls around they don't want to trade him obviously because they just specifically went out and stockpiled these guys so there's no point in doing that if you then have to trade away one of them because he gets upset so are they going to be able to make him happy with whatever contract uh renegotiation has to happen and then outside of those two can they get a third guy playing viably whether it's justin coleman in the slot no Igbenogany after getting lit up as a rookie. Does he take a step forward? Like that third spot is still a question mark. They play a ton of man coverage. It's the it's the Belichick scheme. It, it puts a lot of pressure on those corners. Byron Jones is coming from a system. He came from a system in Dallas where he was playing a lot more off coverage, a lot more traditional cover three, and had to man up nonstop. So his grade took a bit of a hit because of the because of the the pressure put on the corners there, Xavier Howard had the 10 interceptions, was just incredible last year. He wants a new contract. We've talked about him a little bit, but if they're all back and they're all happy, they have the skill sets to play that man coverage. It, it gets ugly at times because of how much pressure you put on the corners, but it puts a lot of pressure on the offense too. You've got tighter windows. Completion percentage in general is lower against man coverage and that's why the Dolphins did have one of the most efficient defenses last year so Xavier Howard and Byron Jones on the outside you mentioned all the guys Igbenogany does fit better in the slot Justin Coleman fits better in the slot they have the right people and the other thing I love about their secondary is a bunch of corner safety hybrids drafted Javon Holland in the second round Eric Rowe used to play a little bit of corner uh, Brandon Jones has that tight end eraser type of capability I, I I really liked what the Dolphins have done on paper in their secondary the last couple of years there are uh, Xavier Howard sort of statement by the way when he was basically putting out publicly that he was upset and wanted to trade <laughs> there's a line in there about how he was basically doing so well last year with nothing around him like okay if I'm Byron Jones reading that 
you know, I, I might be a little upset by that. Yeah, it's not very nice. Yeah. I don't know how much, if anything, that kind of stuff matters, but generally speaking, pissing off your teammates and guys that play with you in the same unit probably isn't a great idea. This goes to the same thing we had said, you know, about like the Cardinals and all that stuff. You, you're, you're looking at all this, you know, we, we just play Madden, right? We're playing Madden franchise mode when we're looking at these guys. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys, when you made a great Madden move, look, we got Xavier Howard, we got Byron Jones, and one guy, one guy gets mad because he wants to get more money than yeah. the guy next to like, him. I don't know if that stuff matters, but what I would say is that it can't help, right? Yeah. Like the idea that, let's say, Z- or Byron Jones reads that and is like, what are you talking about? I was playing pretty well last year as well. What, what's the deal? Gets upset with Xavier Howard. That might not matter at all. They might both go out there and play exactly oh, right. the same I, next year. I agree. That being said, there is zero, there's no scenario whereby it helps. Right. But there are scenarios where you can see <laughs> that it does get worse, where they, you know, one guy upsetting another guy actually makes one of them play materially worse. The two other things I want to just bring up as question marks before we move on. This is pretty efficient, I think, for the Dolphins. Um, The pass rush. We're always good with Team 1. It's, you know, Team 6 that we... No rabbit hole. Don't don't go too far off the tracks here, Sam. All right. Uh, Jalen Phillips was the second first-round pick for the Dolphins. Uh, Chris Collins were its favorite uh, defensive player in the entire draft. He could be one of the keys if he could step in as a rookie and add some pure pass rush. Because last year, you know who the best pass rusher was on the team for the Dolphins? No. Andrew Van Ginkle. Huh. Yeah. And he played well. He was good. Former Wisconsin uh, Badger, second year in the NFL, fifth rounder. He was a really good, efficient pass rusher on 212 rushes. But he's not the guy that you're just saying, well, we've got to double-team Van Ginkle this week. <laughs> right? It's not happening. <laughs> that's a sentence that's never been uttered. Yeah. So Jalen Phillips, Emmanuel Ogba's in there, Van Ginkle's in there. I mean, it, they're going to be piecing it together uh, much in a way that we would talk about here at pff build the secondary figure it out from a pass rush standpoint but when you have a guy if jalen phillips can go out there and win a few more yeah. one-on-ones it does help quite and, a bit well like the offensive line gives two of the chance to succeed if they can if they can find a legitimate pass rush you know particularly from jalen phillips that helps the secondary and it helps the guys who have to play man coverage more than anybody else in the nfl just they, they have a little bit less time to have to do it because Jalen Phillips is going to get there quicker than Van Ginkle was last season. Um, so, you know, Igmanogany, Byron Jones struggling a little bit more, having to play man coverage. Suddenly he's got less time to have to do it. That helps him. It's just this knock-on effect. It, as much as, you know, we try and isolate each player in each position as much as humanly possible, it's always interconnected. And one thing will affect something else. All right, just to wrap up the Dolphins, we promised a best-case scenario. Okay. So I would say the best-case scenario – obviously revolves around the quarterback. Tua yeah. takes a big step in year two. The the traits that he showed at Alabama that I liked, when he saw open receivers, and this doesn't sound good because you need to anticipate in the <laughs> NFL, he could see it and throw it and put it where he wanted to go. He's He is quick-minded too, right? He, he does move quickly. He just has some, uh, some bouts where maybe just too quickly and, and misread stuff. He can move quickly through progressions. He can see it and get it there. They'll, he'll have more open receivers. The offensive line comes together, um, and he's more aggressive. I, I think all of those things kind of combine, and Tua looks like a good, reasonable quarterback and not as overwhelmed as he did in year one. The aggression thing is huge. I mean, he had an overall grade of 65, essentially, last season. Um, Burrow was at 75. Herbert was at 80, effectively, as the, are the three tiers you're talking about. So if Tua can jump up 
10 points in grading. If he can go from 65 to 75, which is doable if he just rediscovers that aggressive streak and the deep ball and the big plays that were there, obviously at Alabama when everybody was wide open, just were not there last season. He had the lowest big-time throw rate in the NFL. His turnover-worthy play rate was high-ish, not catastrophic. He doesn't even, I don't think he even needs to move that. He can stay exactly the same in terms of the number of mistakes he makes if he just finds that aggressive streak and the ability to make big plays. Part of that will obviously be helped with a guy like Jalen Waddle, but he needs to make that correction himself in terms of just knowing when to put the ball in the air and taking a few more chances, which for him, like it's, it's particularly, it's worth doing, right? Because you're already making mistakes. It's not like you're Alex Smith out there with one of the best turnover-worthy play rates in the NFL, you're, you're already making mistakes. So you might as well make them 50 yards down the field. Give, take a chance. So that's the Dolphins. Uh, the DraftKings over-under for win total, 9.5. So we'll do a little win total as well. Over-under for the Dolphins this year. 9.5 with the 7. This is going to screw everything up. The 17, 17 games. games. You got to so change won, your mind. They won 10 games last season in a 16-game schedule. 9.5. Dolphins fans are saying 17. no respect. We had we won ten last year. We're going to win twelve this year. We're ascending. I'm going to go under. I'm going under as well. As I'm going under for the Dolphins. Partly the injury thing. They were so healthy last year, and I don't see that repeating. But also, like the Jets should be better. The Patriots should be better. Like the division is harder. And they play the NFC South: Bucks, Saints, Falcons ascending potentially. I mean, there could be a tough run for the Dolphins this year. So I'm going to go under. Man, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go over everybody else, though, so we stay positive. All right, before we get into the next team, I want to tell you about our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is free. Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy-to-use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. Multi-team trades. You've been trying to work out multi-team trades left and right, Sam. That's what you love doing. Player salary, contract options auto-generate player salaries for your league and if you're coming from another site that's not a problem Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free sign up and play now at Fantrax.com PFF get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league make your league on Fantrax and then head out to a free Las Vegas Raiders game with your buddies this is Fantrax.com PFF the home of fantasy sports all right the next team on my list that's out of order is the New York Jets hmm what are we looking for with the Jets? Biggest questions, best case scenario? I mean, we don't want to make this all about the quarterbacks, but obviously the biggest We'll question. touch on the quarterback, right? Obviously We're... the biggest question with the Jets is their quarterback. They drafted Zach Wilson, number two overall, which would be the biggest question for any team taking a quarterback number two overall, but in particular with Wilson because of his entire like narrative as a number two overall pick. Guy effectively came out of nowhere um, – had this incredible season at BYU, but sample size and level of competition are legitimate questions for him in a way they weren't for obviously Trevor Lawrence, but also Justin Fields. Like, so the Jets, A, did they make the right pick? And B, you know, how how good is this guy going to look based off how little we've seen from it? Yeah, Zach Wilson, you know, to, to your point, the fact that he was just locked in at number two, uh, enough enough people around the NFL really liked him. He does have that... He does have that arm talent, that just feel for, for making plays when, when things aren't there, quick release. Uh, I think he had he always had those skills and tools, but he also stayed healthy last year, um, which will be one of the question marks. 
that they're looking at here. So it's Zach Wilson plus that passing game, right? So I, I think the story of the Jets is when you compare them, you reverse course to 2018, and the Jets draft Darnold, and the Bills draft Josh Allen, and the Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen. And all three teams maybe had the three very worst situations in the NFL as far as offenses go. Josh Rosen had the worst one. Yeah, Nobody to throw to, nobody to block for him. But the Jets and the Bills were pretty close behind. And the Bills have completely turned it around. The Cardinals moved to Kyler Murray and turned it around. And the Jets, as they move, Sam, they move away from Sam Darnold, was still trying to figure it out on the offensive line. Still one of the bottom five to eight offensive lines in the NFL. Still one of the bottom five to eight groups of playmakers. I think this is where they've turned the corner, though. I think the corner has been turned with not just Hall of Famer Corey Davis coming in, but Corey Davis and Elijah Moore and, and just – Jamison Crowder was like he's been their most dependable guy the last three years when he's your third option that's a great third option to have because he's he's an excellent slot receiver who can get open so uh, Keelan Cole's a dependable guy Denzel Mims you know he's not doing a whole lot yet but he's apparently lighting up the third team he's lighting up the third team so you know it's a good you mentioned on the daily it's a good news bad news thing right the good news or the bad news is that Denzel Mims is currently running with the third string you know, so the chances of him being a great player based off, you know, the lighting up everyone at the uh, the senior ball, not great. The good news is he is at least lighting up the third team, you know. So he's in the doghouse, but he's kicking the ass of the people he's going up against. So, you know, like I say, bad news, good news here. And then along the def- the offensive line for the Jets, second year of Makai Becton, who had a 74 grade last year as a rookie left tackle. That was fantastic, right? Mauls people in the run game was better in pass protection last year, I think, in the NFL than he was even in college at Louisville. They bring in Morgan Moses in free agency to shore up right tackle, push George Fant to a backup, swing roll, tight end, you know, sixth tight end, sixth offensive lineman type of role. In the interior, adds first-round pick Elijah Vera Tucker to go with Connor McGovern and Greg Van Roten. Those guys, McGovern and Van Roten, were below average last year, but they've played solid football at, at points in their career. That's all you can do. That's all you can do along the offensive line. Continue to take shots on it. I think the Jets are moving in the right direction in overall supporting cast. This is the best supporting cast a Jets quarterback has had in years. Yeah. And so Zach Wilson has a chance to benefit right away. Yeah, I think that's true. They, they, they've taken longer than the other teams, but they're finally heading down the same pathway in terms of improving across the board. Uh, their, their biggest question mark, as we said, is, is Zach Wilson. What does he look like? The other one they have is who the hell is playing cornerback for them? The, the, the secondary is a massive question. It's Marcus May and then a bunch of, like, children. Name the children. <laughs> Bryce, uh, Hall, Bryce Hall, one. Corey Ballantyne. The other Lamar Jackson. The other Lamar. There. Jason Pinnock, a rookie. Michael Carter, the second, a rookie. They have two Michael Carters on the team. Um, <laughs> Javelin Gidry. I mean, <laughs> that's, it's that's, uh, that's Wes Juan Austin. They're cornerbacks. <laughs> they're so bad slash anonymous slash question marks that they have the other Lamar Jackson and the other Michael Carter. They do. They just they really do. they've collected other players. Like they just need they need to bring the other Adrian Peterson out of retirement and they can just have this collection of the other Steve Smith's probably not busy. We can just get a whole bunch of those guys. It, the interesting thing here is Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator previously mm-hmm. with the Jets, right? And you know, they're they're going from this he wasn't there all of last year obviously, but this blitz heavy aggressive defense not that Robert Sala's defense in his history isn't aggressive but it's a zone heavy scheme Sala's from the cover three scheme they they evolved it a little bit in San Francisco to more of a quarters look so it's a soft 
secondary, essentially. You're playing off coverage. Um, and the the coverage study that I did in recent weeks that I've cited on the podcast says, okay, those schemes do put less pressure on the corners overall. It doesn't mean you want bad corners or anything like that. They put a little bit less pressure on the corners than, say, what the Dolphins would do. So that's what I'm interested in. Can this scheme maybe hide the cornerbacks a little bit, put a little bit less pressure on them? Because remember, it was Salah's defense in 2019. We looked at the Niners' depth chart and we said, this looks terrible at corner. And all of a sudden, they were a Super Bowl caliber team because a few guys emerged. And maybe Salah's just got a better eye for talent and and getting the – Bryce Hall has played good football at points in his career before some bad injuries at Virginia. Like, I I wonder if they can – find a player or two there but i also think you know going into next offseason we're going to be saying hey cornerback's a major need for the jets yeah i mean it's a major need right now it's almost it certainly going to be a major need at the end of the season i bryce hall is the one guy that i do like his potential within that sala kind of defense and it wouldn't shock me if bryce hall looked good by the end of the season um and we were saying okay they've got one spot locked down they just need to find the other corner and the slot guy but that right now is I mean, it's an obvious glaring hole in the entire defense. So if you're thinking best case scenario, all of this comes together. And it's it's a <laughs> lot of question marks, right? It's it's like the receivers are, you know, the receiver moves are good. Corey Davis plays closer to a one than a two, even though he's probably more of a two. Elijah Moore is as advertised as a rookie. The offensive line, all of the best case scenarios happen there, right? Everybody's good. Okay. And they find some corners there. Yeah. The other thing that is... A potential strength now is the defensive line. They've done a really good job of building that defensive line, bringing in Carl Lawson in free agency. I've been calling for Quinnen Williams to be maybe, maybe the breakout player this year from good to you know potential star, taking a shot on a Sheldon Rankins in free agency on the cheap. Uh, my boy Folo Fadakasi as just a great run-stopping nose tackle. Uh, I do think the Jets, all these moves that we're talking about, they're just making a, a lot of good, solid moves that they won't all pan out. But I do think yeah. overall the front office is making a lot of good decisions. Right. So I think, you know, their, their best case scenario is that more of them pan out than don't. Not that they all pan out because, frankly, that's just not realistic. So, like, their best case scenario is that Zach Wilson looks like a star. Zach Wilson looks like maybe Justin Herbert last year is too ambitious, but he looks like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Baker Mayfield, who looks like a good starting quarterback right away. You come out of the season confident that you have the guy um, in a way you haven't for the past few years. Not that there's the occasional flash that you got from Sam Darnold, but you've seen enough that you're pretty confident he will be the guy going forward. And more of the rest of the moves have worked out than not. Carl Lawson still looks like the same guy, gets a ton of pressure. Maybe a Bryce Hall pans out, and now you're only looking for two cornerbacks instead of three or four. Um, and enough of the wide receivers look good that you're confident you have the supporting cast around Wilson for him to look good. And the offensive line remains solid, not a disaster. So you're not looking for everything to work out, just like the biggest piece to look good and then enough things around him that you're not blowing the whole thing up around him yeah i think jets fans would just be happy with steps in the right direction i mean i think they'd be happy if just wilson looked good even if everything else didn't work out i think you also want you want some positivity coming out of your head coach analysis your your head coach takeaways right salah's got the defense playing hard maybe overachieving a little bit given what they're there it's not just the corners by the way their entire back seven if you look at their if we're talking about a system that puts a lot of pressure on linebackers, you know, Fred Warner coming out of Salah's system just got paid a ton in part because he's really good. The other part because he put, takes on a challenging role 
in a zone-heavy scheme, and we're talking about the Jets. They have C.J. Mosley maybe coming back. After That's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah. And he's not the best coverage linebacker, but he's their best option Yeah, probably. And he's good. I mean, he's a good player. He was yes. never as good as the hype and as the contract that he signed, but they're actually getting – I mean, it's like a big free agent signing, right? They're potentially getting a good quality player in a system that actually needs that position pretty badly. Um and that has the, the potential to be an interesting matchup. By the way, one way to just keep tabs, if you're, if you're listening to the show here and you're at your desktop or laptop or whatever, if you go to pff.com, we've got not depth charts, but we have uh, packages on the site. So te- like nickel, de- nickel, base, and all that stuff. It's over at pff.com. Click on your team. Um, it, make, it might make it easier to follow along because I'm going straight off our depth charts and you know who we have and the, the two deep and the three deep, and it, and it helps to be able to see this stuff. But at linebacker with the Jets, Jared Davis, they bring in too, who's never really played good football, but he's a pretty good blitzer. Blake Cashman, who was a pretty good coverage linebacker in college, but has just been okay in the NFL. So the entire back seven is questionable. But to your point, if Zach Wilson looks good, if some of the rookies, the young players show some stuff, and then Robert Sala gets them overachieving a little bit, Mm -hmm. I think you're feeling good as a Jets fan. I was a little surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Over under six for the Jets. Yep. So... A six and eleven season as the baseline. I I feel like I would lean over here, not because I'm terribly, I'm not overly excited about the Jets, but I could see, I could see things you know turning around for them. Sure. I mean, remember they won two last year, so it is a significant jump already, even with the seventeenth game. It's you're probably asking for a lot of wins. It's probably a fair question too. Like, is Zach Wilson better than Sam Darnold right now? As much as we say quarterbacks don't get better every year, there are a lot of rookie quarterbacks who are just okay as rookies and then they're better in year two and and then that's what and that's more of like what they are. It's not always whatever you are as a rookie, you're there forever. Zach Wilson might be just at Sam Darnold's level this year. Which would actually be I guess that would be encouraging. I don't know. Sam Darn I don't know that Sam Darnold's been Yeah. It's been pretty bad. Let me take it back. Yeah. You want him to be a little bit better than what Donald's shown. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you start a sentence and you just find then you stop it right in the middle of a, cul- of a cul-de-sac going nowhere. We're recording. We could just cut that. Like a dead end. It's like I never did it. Yeah. <sighs> you want Zach Wilson to be a little bit better. Yeah. Where would you go, though? Over or under six? A lot of good things have happened with the Jets. So the five-win teams last year were Detroit, Denver, and Carolina. Like, I mean – Okay, you got an extra game to play with, so now you're talking about five and twelve. Is that what you think they are? Like that level of team? Well, the Carolina one is the interesting one, and Denver to a degree, I guess. Like those are those are not terrible teams, for different reasons. They only won five games last year. I could see the Jets coming out of this, even if Zach Wilson looks a reasonable amount better than Darnell last year, with only five wins and twelve losses. I don't think that that's unreasonable. I mean, the alternative is like seven over six is plus 100 so the the favorite is to go under six so if i was actually putting money down i'd go over with given the odds i would go over given the odds i think the more likely thing is under though i I agree as does as as does the market as does vegas as does the bookies not the team and DraftKings. all right let's go to the buffalo bills next that's that's the order Mm. i've written down the buffalo bills let's preview their season what do you think, man? Is this their year? They're going to go from AFC Championship to uh, Super Bowl run here. Yeah, in the nice, neat, linear improvement world, the, the next step is Super Bowl, baby. Yeah. I just... Ugh. All right. 
there's a lot they have done a fantastic job of moving this in the right direction step by step um the josh allen jump last year was pretty unexpected but it was it was remarkable obviously aided by stefan diggs um coming over I, th- I don't think those things are completely independent but neither do i think that josh allen's jump was just a product of stefan diggs sure. I think they needed both of them for it to happen the way it did but it worked out perfectly for diggs who justified the points he's been making the whole way which is look give me the ball more i can be a better player than this and help the team got way more opportunities last year for the bills than he was ever going to get in minnesota just given the differences in the offense um his target or target volume last season was significantly higher than he's ever seen before 162 targets last season the most he's ever had in, in minnesota was 141 um sorry where did i get 162 from 193 last season uh, the most he'd ever had in Minnesota was 141, so basically 50 more passes. Regular season versus post. Yeah, that might have been it. Yeah. Sent his way. Um, so that was huge for him. He stayed the same player. In fact, if anything was better. And then Josh Allen discovered his deep ball, was able to do the thing that had been failing him so far, and stayed as good as he was at everything else. And then probably added a little bit more as well. The question is, where's that going to go next season? Because we know it's not always this this nice neat growth period and can those things it's a little bit like that green bay narrative right the their best three players essentially all had career years does that happen again probably not if it doesn't how big a problem is it yeah i just i think the bills are just set up for success on offense though you know it comes with with stefan diggs he took them to the next level but having a cole beasley in the slot who gets open having emmanuel sanders to replace john brown on the outside sanders can still get open he's almost our age not that not and, that old yet but he's and close. gabriel davis and then gabriel davis who's been you know he was a fantastic deep threat i mean you're talking about that that top four is excellent i, I think they need a little bit more production out of tight end or again just always have that option right the ability to go to the tight end if they're taking receivers away dawson knox has just been okay they bring in jacob hollister who's a solid number two so i just i love where the skill positions have gone the offensive line has done a perfect creep back toward average you know path right Dion Dion Dawkins and Daryl Williams are just solid at tackle they're probably one of the better tackle tandems but they're not you know you know top five top eight tackle tandems so it's not exciting but it's good their question is more on the interior and and I I think Bills the Bills came out of last year thinking hey we got to run the ball a little bit better and I will say their guards weren't great last year guard and center was was the weakness of the offensive line cody ford has a lot of pressure on him i think they're gonna they want him to start uh here in year three after investing you know second rounder in him so those are some of the question marks so i think they're set up for success when you're a really good team like the bills were last year though you try to figure out what you're going to improve on the edges and that's i think that's part of the story do they want to run the ball a little bit better run block a little bit better and I think they want to stop the run a little bit better too. It was we they, they got gashed yeah. at times, and we talked about maybe that's a good strategy, but you also don't want to give up eight yards a pop either in any given games. So there's a lot of investment in the defensive line these last couple of years for the Bills. I agree that I think they'll be okay on offense. Um, they're also one of the best teams in the NFL in terms of the analytics edge, the play calling edge that their offense gives them. So they're one of the most pass happy, aggressive teams in neutral situations so you know first and 10 the bills are going to be passing more than pretty much any team in the nfl which analytics says is just a good strategy it's a it's the best it's the optimal way of calling plays and remember not to interrupt but they had that game last year against the seahawks 
who came in with one of the worst coverage right. units, the best run defense units, and the Bills just passed like 22 times straight to start the game. That is that is smart play calling. That's good footballing. Right. So they are going to help. Like whether or not Josh Allen takes a slight step back, whether or not Stephon Diggs takes a slight step back, the offense is setting these guys up in a good situation. So they're they're at least getting an edge there. My biggest question mark for them is on the defensive side, and specifically, either can they continue to perform at a fairly significant degree greater than the sum of their parts or can they get a greater sum of their parts like when you look at their uh defense just the starters there's a lot of like orange and red grades in there there's a lot of guys that just weren't playing well and yet the bills defense is a pretty good unit because they're very well coached the scheme is very good um but like at some point there's a breaking point right where those guys just are not playing well enough for that to function so either does that regress at any point? And this is a system with a pretty long track record of doing that. Or can all the new additions that they brought in, you know, Gregory Rousseau, Carlos Basham, can those guys like elevate the level so that they, there, isn't a big, there isn't as much of a jump between the sum of their parts and where they actually need to play? Last year was the worst defense of the Sean McDermott era for Buffalo. He's been there four years. They had been a top 10 coverage unit they were they were just out of the top 10 just using pff grades but using epa allowed which is essentially just a it's just a better overall unit measure the bills were only 18th last year epa allowed now part of that is likely the offense was so much better so defenses are the the opposing offenses just threw the ball a lot more and you're gonna allow higher epa when you, uh, you're getting thrown on versus getting run on um but there were definitely games where the bills defense was not that great whereas in past years it was like that was what was holding that team together so that might actually be a positive for the bills again giving this you know cyclical nature of defense and they could regress positively this year mm. you've got a track record of success in the secondary micah hyde and jordan Poyer, are very solid safeties tredavious white one of the best corners in the nfl we've always talked about that number two corner spot that levi wallace is scheduled to start once again and maybe the Bills should upgrade it but he's been a good solid player um, so they have pieces in the secondary and you could tell I, I love when draft strategies kind of show what teams think about themselves the Bills got all big dudes at defensive end who you mentioned Rousseau and Basham and then two big essentially developmental offensive tackles but they were saying we need depth on this defensive line and they could roll about eight deep with defensive linemen so um, the question I, is how the, many of them are actually going to play well is their problem. Like, I, I know. The Eagles have been able to roll seven deep on the defensive line, all of whom have been good and productive. The Bills could be rolling seven or eight deep with still Jerry Hughes being the only guy that can generate any kind of pressure. The other thing in the Bills' favor, Matt Milano missed a lot of time last year. He's a, he's a very good coverage linebacker. Um, I'm going to cite this a lot, but just looking at adding context to our grades, you have to know what – guys are asked to do and all that stuff and the bills have been one of those quarters heavy type of teams where the pressure's on the linebackers matt milano tremaine edmonds edmonds hasn't been nearly as good as the hype gets, hype a, gets, a, gets a lot of tackles some hasn't been nearly as good. every bill gets a lot of tackles that's how they do it there um so yeah there are questions on defense i think the bills defense needs to tighten up a little bit is the is the bottom line i mean i think the front seven just needs some impact players right last like they've got players that should be good Ed Oliver obviously was a high draft pick, a guy that was spectacular in college coming off his worst season, a PFF grade in the 40s. Um, Matt Milano, as you said, coming off a bad season for him, but is a better player than that. Tremaine Edmonds coming off a grade of 41. 
Like, he's not been good at all. Now, he makes splash plays, but there's so many plays, as you say, for the Buffalo Bills linebackers that you're going to find those. The question is, like, where is the balance? And the balance for him is bad. Um, and the defensive line has basically been Jerry Hughes for years. So they've made attempts to fix that with the guys they brought in, particularly at defensive end. But we need to see that. Like, those guys need to play better than the guys they're replacing or the front seven for Buffalo is going to be a problem again. Ed Oliver is really the interesting one because he was much improved as a pass rusher last year. But if you look at his run defense grade, it was horrible. And yeah, there are play. He's another splash play guy, right? The pass He'll, rush still wasn't like it wasn't great. I mean, right. it, was, it was better. I mean, you could see him. He was he went from sixty two to seventy two last year, right? Um, so if he gets up to you know high seventies or eighties this year, that's that's if helpful. He stays at seventy two. That's not doing much for you. But you might want to just you know, his 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 overall snap count kind of went down a little bit as the, as the season progressed. And um, you might want to get Ed Oliver off the field on rundowns. And, and he was the opposite in college. He was just this disruptive force with range in the run game. And, and you always, we always joke about scouts caring about size and, and all that stuff, but it's been a factor with Ed Oliver at 6'1", 287. He has gotten absolutely engulfed and blown off the ball in the run game. And, it is it is a factor right now. Again, if you're if you're the Bills and you're trying to play the run with only six guys in the box and all that stuff, you can't have Ed Oliver in there, you know, getting destroyed by double teams. And having Starlo Tulele back might help. You know, coming off of you know his opt out year, so I think that's why they added so much depth. AJ Epinesa in the second round, Rousseau and Basham. They have a lot of players that they're throwing at this defensive line. If Oliver can just become a good pass rusher, I think that solves a lot of problems for them. Even if it's at the expense of being an every down player and he just becomes a situational pass rushing body, that would be a good thing for them, I think. But Oliver had 35 total pressures last season, which is a couple more than Malik Jackson on Jackson had significantly fewer pass rushes. And that was like Jackson's down year of him being you know on the way out slowing down heading towards retirement and old age right true like you need to be a lot better than that if you're going to be i mean malik jackson has been a situational pass rusher for most of his career like ed oliver needs to take another big step forward for him to be a viable player on that defense so the big questions include the entire defensive line maybe the defense just you know playing better than last year Josh Allen regression, offensive regression in general. Is, did he peak last year? Was it a stepping stone for, to go uh, to move him forward? What about best case scenario? Like what what could happen? I mean, obviously the Super Bowl is a best case scenario, but what happens in Buffalo if everything is you know looks looks good here? Well, best case scenario is Josh Allen stays at an elite level at quarterback. Another great in the '90s. You're now talking about a group of quarterbacks at the very top that is Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. You know, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, I guess, and Josh Allen. Like, he's in that conversation in perpetuity, surrounded by great weaponry um, and an offensive line that's pretty good. And you're talking about one of the best couple of offenses in the entire NFL. And then the defense doesn't, you know, the, the defense isn't found out. They, they continue to, however they're doing it, end up as a better unit than the sum of their parts, which hasn't been that great for at least the last year or two. Um, and it's just... It's like the Kansas City offense, or defense, right, where it's just good enough to not drag them down, to not undermine all the work that the offense is doing. So I think that's their best-case scenario, is that the offense stays amazing and the defense isn't bad, and therefore they're one of the best teams in the NFL. Over-under is 11 for the Bills. 
Now remember, when you're setting lines, every year there's a 13 and a 14 win team, and that always happens. But when you're setting season lines, it's always more, it's always closer. Every team's between, you know, like six and 11 for the most part. Yes. Is that uh, high for the Bills? It's high, but I don't know if it's unreasonably high with the 17th game. I would go over. 13-3 last season. They can lose a couple more with the extra game and still be okay. I'm going to go over. Man, this one's it's a, good, it's a good number. It's a good number they put it's it It's almost at. like they're good at this. I'm tempted. <laughs> I'm tempted to go under. I, I do think there'll be some regression offensively. I do think, but, but I think the defense might offset it a little bit. Yeah. It's a good track record defensively that you know, took a bit of a step back next year, and I think the track record will win out. I'll go over. For there the bills, go. see, positive. I am, I'm hashtag Bills Mafia over here. We got to set up that GoFundMe to get you uh, in your Josh Allen jersey. What are we gonna do? What's the official thing we're doing? I think you just have to wear the whole Josh Allen get up and sign the apology form on the podcast. Wait, like pants and everything? Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. See how quickly the uptake is in the uh, the charity drive. You might have to offer some more. I had to. People weren't loving the dress up as minor league Steve, so I had to guarantee the idiot mustache, and that got the giant yeah, donation. Yeah, like just throwing a jersey on doesn't move the needle. Right. Well, we'll see. Maybe it does. Maybe Bill's Mafia is all about that. But then if it's slow, if we have to keep grinding the I think the money. They, might, they might need to see me like on the field doing some Josh Allen moves. Like, a lot of people— I know what we'll do. We'll lot, grab, Jack Collinsworth has a lot of experience you know, getting stiff-armed and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give him like a Josh Allen stiff arm. He's like in help. Japan right now. He's way too He'll big time back. for us. He'll be back. Jack is Jack does a good job. That's what I'm saying. He's like good. He's way too big time for us at this stage. People, a lot of people really like the idea of you falling through a table. Yeah, I know. A lot of people. I know. Not the way my back is right now, but right. maybe I mean, it'll crack me back. You can barely place. sit in a chair right now, let alone throw yourself through. Maybe it would fix it. Yeah. I'm old and a little, little overweight, busted. so the, the back's not feeling great. I mean, it's a lot of weight that back is carrying around on a daily basis. But we need, like, where do you, can you just, how much does a foldable table cost? Oh, it's probably cheap. Yeah? Probably have one in storage over here. <laughs> you just got to pre-cut it, throw some tape pre -cut on it. Pre-cut it? Yes. What? It's called a working table. No. You need a working table. You can't pre-cut a table. They're like, they're what do collapsible. You think? Oh, collapse. Whatever. That's Those ones that like bend in the middle anyway. You don't pre-cut those. Oh, that's fine. You're telling me Bill's Mafia is out there with like an angle grinder cutting the hinges if off they're those? They're drunk and crazy. I'm not that. I'm just gonna, you know, trying to but put on what, a spectacle. But what you lose here. in being drunk and crazy, you gain back in being like a hundred pounds heavier than most people. I don't think that's a win. Of course it is. It's not a it's win. It's inertia. You are going through that table without the without the requirement yeah. of the and hinges. And the inertia being cut. hits the ground pretty hard too. So well, that's a different problem. The, no, pro the initial problem is getting through the table it's without still cutting a it. problem. All right, can we move on here? We'll figure it out. <laughs> New England Patriots time. What's going to happen with the Patriots? All this offseason investment. The most aggressive offseason ever. Ever for, for any team. But yeah. forget it. Like the most ridiculous thing that Bill Belichick's ever done in New England. Going out and getting all sorts of free agents. A bunch of good players, but for a lot of money. And I've, I've been on record saying they're not overpaying these guys this year, but it probably comes back to bite maybe in 2022. But for this year, the Patriots, I think they have a better roster. But, of course, it comes down to what does Cam Newton do in year two or is it Mac Jones time? Yeah, I mean, I just gut instinct says it's going to be – it's going to take quite a lot to get Mac Jones onto the field. I mean, obviously an injury, but 
it's in terms of play quality, I think it would take quite a lot for the Patriots to turn to Mac Jones as the future. This feel what I'm most interested in is just what this offense looks like. Obviously, they are pivoting as a base offense to a more heavy set personnel package. They made not one but two different tight ends the third uh, highest paid tight end in the NFL this offseason. Basically the same. Like, you know, it's it's Travis Kelsey, they're number 3 and number 3. Like <laughs> so clearly they're going to feature these guys a ton, which is a massive departure over what they did last year. Now, with Cam Newton as the quarterback as this, you know, still unique singular athlete of giant uh physical rushing specimen what does that system look like generally like that to me is incredibly interesting in a league that is trended ever more towards smaller faster defensive players the defensive line linebackers are now 215 pounds safeties and cornerbacks the defensive players have never been smaller and all of a sudden they have to go up against a team that's running with two tight ends a 255 pound quarterback that can run the ball plus the running backs and all that kind of stuff so what does this offense look like and it can it be better than last year even if cam newton doesn't play any better just because it's better suited to what they're trying to do now yeah don't let's not forget i mean last year the patriots season ended with a sour taste because they didn't make the playoffs they didn't finish all that strong but there was a point in the season remember the first season they run all over the Dolphins. the first game they run all over the dolphins then they go to seattle and it's like this crazy shootout, and Cam Newton throws for almost 400 yards, and Julian Edelman's uncoverable, and it's like, wow, the Patriots, they can run the ball, and they can pass it, and yeah, they lost at the last seconds of the Seahawks, but that's okay, the Seahawks are great. Then they run all over the Raiders again, too, and it's like, okay, this offense is, is legit. How do you stop them? But the problem was, then they lose to the um, Chiefs, and they had some injuries, and COVID for Cam, and all that stuff. The problem is what you're saying, like the bad games that Cam Newton had. He had a game where he threw for 84 yards against the Cardinals. He had a game where he threw for 69 yards against the Chargers, and they won because of special teams and various things. 34-yard game against the Bills in Week 16. Uh, Cam doesn't even finish the game. He has several passing grades under 60 and a bunch under 55, which he just can't really win with. So I keep coming back to having Hunter Henry, having John New Smith, having – Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne at least it's not a dominant passing attack but it's better than what they had last year they had the worst tight ends in the NFL over the last couple of years and a t bottom five receiving unit and especially when Edelman's hurt I mean, it's, it's not good it at least gives the Patriots options if the power run game which is I think what they're gonna focus on if the power run game's not there they can at least air it out in certain games and, and put points on the board the other thing that's really interesting heading into this year is like COVID is now this sort of blanket excuse, you know, like long, obviously getting COVID has different uh, results for people in terms of just what they're dealing with. Like some people are completely asymptomatic. Some people just can't taste. Some people are down for like a long period of time and it's serious and it's it's it has a lingering yeah. every change effect. in play is is pointed to oh well the guy had covid right exactly. i'm sorry i mentioned it I so that so so but the point is it's real for some people i'm sure but it's also going to be used as this generic like not not by those players like i don't think anybody is necessarily using it as an excuse to explain why they played badly but people are you know yeah analysis is going to point to this so with cam newton there are going to be a lot of people saying, well, he got COVID, and that explains a lot of 
poor Cam Newton from that point on. And it might. Maybe it did. Maybe Cam Newton was dealing with COVID and it lingered and we never saw, you know, fully non-COVID Cam Newton for a while. And that's, that explains why he didn't play particularly well last year. On the other hand, maybe Cam Newton was just playing badly last year. But we this, don't know until we get to this season and we see what it looks like. The COVID thing's a little different than what I'm going to say here, but we heard the same excuses for Cam when he kept getting hurt, right? It was like, well, he was playing well until he got hurt in 2018. In 2019, well, he got hurt. And in, two, in 2020, yeah. well, he's coming off of his injury. Right. Well, my, my, I'm not saying Cam Newton's to blame for the COVID part of it. I'm saying he's – but for the injury part of it, I think that's, that's kind of on the player. Right? You don't control all your injuries, but it's part of your profile, so to speak. Right? So – I mean, it fits – yeah. I mean, for Cam in particular, it fits a trend of like every year there's something. Right? right. It's an injury, and it, we keep waiting for this fully healthy – cam newton that may never come back again we now, may all- never see fully healthy cam newton for a season for the remainder of his career but i just think generally this covid thing is going to be kind of interesting because any player that had covid and then didn't play to the absolute peak of his ability last year the narrative going into this season is going to be well he had covid and therefore wasn't great like miles garrett had that you know towards the end wasn't the same kind of guy but it was after he got covid so how could you expect him to how, be how could you but like but like maybe it was the case for some of these guys. Maybe it was the case for all of them. Maybe it was the case for none of them, and they just had like a bad run. The other factor too, I think, is just not having crowds and how road games weren't really road games. Home and road advantage doesn't matter. It matters more in football than any other sport, right? I mean, it. Um, I think I'm just saying that, but I, it does, right? <laughs> Crowd noise and all that That's stuff. That's what we're about in the PFL Probably podcast. Does. Just saying stuff with zero Somebody data correct to back me. It is, up. It, is it more important in basketball? Is it more important in baseball? You at least get to hit last if you're a home team and all that stuff. But uh, anyway, home road splits, NFL, do matter. And so that's just another new thing well that's yeah something coming back this year right is the idea that home field advantage will actually be a factor i think last year it actually swung all the way the to the other way like there was a very tiny advantage to not being at home last year and statistically and is the advantage but is the advantage only to like aaron Rodgers and tom brady were the two highest graded quarterbacks the smart quarterbacks who are hearing well also opposing calls and all that somebody asked me this during a, a radio hit and i hadn't thought about it before but like rookie quarterbacks last year didn't have to deal with that all season right so how much of an advantage was that to a justin herbert to at no point in the year have to deal with like the cacophony of an arrowhead stadium you know on the road cacophony or you know any of those quarterbacks like they essentially had to they got the opportunity to adjust to the nfl without having to run that gauntlet of hideous noisy away stadiums now the group the, the zach wilson's the trevor lawrence's of the world they don't they got to adjust and run through that gauntlet of uh of noisy stadiums on the road of course all of our grades are coming from pff elite don't forget about our flash sale flash 25 flash 25 25 off any pff subscription between now and august 10th so act fast we don't do flash sales very often 25 percent off pff.com so i think there's a best case scenario where cam newton is actually let's make an excuse for him it's a tough system mm-hmm. he shows up a little late you know they sign him late in the off season it's yeah you don't have training you you don't have preseason games whatever will cam newton just know the system a little bit more will he will he know it better will he will he execute better will he have because the playmakers are a little bit better and he's still just an incredible power runner the patriots maybe become a difficult team to defend and and cam newton doesn't have to play great you know to your point if he plays he was a 70 grade last year if he plays at a 75 level say using pff terms with a better supporting cast 
could be a pretty tough offense. Yes. So I think the idea that Cam, we're all trying to make excuses for Cam, right? Whether it was COVID, whether it was um, all that stuff you just mentioned, the short, the no preseason, the difficult system to pick up. All things that like Tom Brady overcame and other people overcame, right? A, all things that other quarterbacks have overcome, but B, um, the other th- reason that I don't really buy into them that much is that his grade was basically the same the three previous seasons he was playing, right, in, in a different system without right. those circumstances. So his last four healthy, quote-unquote, because he's been banged up and missed some time in each of those. He found his baseline, basically. Right, that's what I'm saying. So his last four seasons, essentially, overall PFF grade of 68.5, 68.7, 70.9, and then 70.9. So last year was not at all away from that baseline. It's just that his box score numbers were a bit worse. He had eight touchdowns to 10 interceptions versus 24 to 13 the last time he was playing in Carolina. So I just don't buy this idea that Cam was significantly worse and we need to find an excuse for that. I just think that he, this, was who, this is who he is at this point. The, the, the more interesting question is, given that as a baseline, have they been able to construct an offense around him with this two tight end heavy type of formation that makes him better from a production standpoint? I think the production would look much better. Everybody cites, well, he only threw for eight touchdowns or whatever. I think, I think again, the production would be better. The yards per attempt has stayed pretty much the same, right? He's gone 6'9", 6'9", 7'2", 7'2". So essentially averaged seven yards per attempt over the last four healthy quote-unquote seasons he's played. Can this offense jump that back up to like 7.8, 7.9, 8.0. I, I also think if Mac Jones comes in, he's he's certainly better set up for success than if he was the quarterback last year for the Patriots, given the, the playmakers. I don't think the offense changes greatly other than maybe short yardage, right? Short yardage, you're not running Mac Jones, you know, running QB power with Mac Jones, but they're going to run the same pass concepts. And if Mac Jones was out there, distributing the ball which he does to hunter henry and Janu and all those guys that we mentioned you know they could do a pretty good job it's also third best offensive line in the league by our by our rankings which has to help and probably helps even more if they are pivoting to a heavy like that's the thing not only you've got a quarterback that's a unique athlete capable of running the ball you've got this two tight end formation and you've got one of the best offensive lines in the nfl that is built to run block like forget the pass protection part of that for a minute. You're now getting Shaq Mason and saying, Shaq, this is going to be like Georgia Tech. We are going to go all out. You get back in your four-point stance and just <laughs> obliterate the dude in front of you. And then Damian Harris and Cam Newton are going to run for 15 yards behind it every play. It's Shaq Mason and Trent Brown back together, but also Michael Onwenu, who is the best rookie right. offensive lineman. Him and Tristan Wirfs. Um, but Onwenu moving to left guard, I mean, this is... An incredible run blocking offensive mm-hmm. line. It could be monsters. phenomenal. And they're like, they, the entire offense is genuinely built to massively lean into this zag when everybody else is zigging deal and just legitimately go old school power football and be good enough at it compared to everybody else that it actually becomes an efficient way of playing offense. So, all that said, last year the Patriots' defense was 26th in EPA per play allowed. That was a huge part of, you know, say what you want about the offense hasn't been good and that you know team building has been questionable as far as adding playmakers and all that stuff the defense regressed greatly Stephon Gilmore had his worst season in a long time if maybe ever 61 PFF grade after just being the best corner in the league over the last three plus years um Devin McCourty 
bad season for him you know relative to the rest of his career jc jackson at corner so many guys regressed last year so again do we look at this and say well it's belichick he's got to turn it around defense is unstable those things tend to turn around i think there's a lot of things in the patriots favor if you're trying to have a positive outlook on this season and and half of it is just well they they should be better than they were last year especially on defense yes um also they're getting they're Dante Hightower is coming back. That'll be a huge thing. He's a legitimate sort of linchpin for them in the middle of that defense. Um, and then they've got a, like a ton of additions. Like they obviously drafted guys like Christian Barmore has the potential to be a difference maker. Kyle Van Noy comes back to the only defense he's been any good in. True. Um, Henry Anderson bringing his two pressures a game to the defensive I love line. Henry. Uh, we love Henry over here. But so many players that they've added to this defense, in addition to the potential that guys like Gilmore bounces back and, and regresses positively towards where his baseline should be. Uh, Matthew Judon comes over as well. Like, there's a lot of additions to this defense and, a you know, obviously a fairly extensive track record of Bill Belichick knowing what he's doing when it comes to defense. Just using pass rush grade, they were twenty tied for 22nd last year. So all those names that you mentioned, Judon, even though a lot of his pressure schemed up and we said well, he's not an elite pass rusher, but he's still pretty good. They have a whole bunch of just pretty good yeah. pass rushers that I think – as a which is kind as of how they've always built that defense. always have done that right but it this is where it should be better this year because of judon van noy's history is he's this hybrid player who could play a traditional linebacker he could rush the passer his best season was when they just unleashed him as a pass rusher so the dolphins tried to put him in coverage a lot more last year it didn't go well van noy rushing the passer along with judon dietrich wise has always been efficient getting after the quarterback chase winovich has always been good i think josh uche could be one of the better just pure third down pass rushers in the NFL and they also drafted Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma in the yeah. second round I mean just those six players plus Barmore who you mentioned this pass rush should be much better this season yeah I mean they and Hightower is one of the better blitzing linebackers in the NFL yes on paper it's a good defense still like it didn't it didn't collapse it may have played a lot worse last year but it, you look at the personnel there's no reason it can't jump back to somewhere uh, approaching one of the better defenses in the NFL. We, we always preach, you know, get three and four deep at corner and, you know, never stop looking for corners. I wonder if things could fall apart quickly for the Patriots with Gilmore getting a little bit older, J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones. They've been there for a few years now. So that's the other thing I think to, to keep an eye on. Will this defense get better? Um, there's, there's evidence to suggest, well, they can't be as bad as they were last year, given Belichick, the track record of some of the players on the team. Um, I think overall the Patriots look better this season. And their over-under is at nine and a half. Hmm. Does that feel rich or does that feel about right for the Patriots? Uh, this or... puts, by the way, DraftKings has the Bills at 11, yeah. Patriots nine and a half, Dolphins nine, Jets six. So DraftKings, their over-under, you know, their, their win totals for teams have the Patriots as the second best team in the AFC East. So the Patriots are seven and nine last year. And we're setting the over under nine and a half, so we got to get them up to ten. Ten and seven, seven in a seventeen game schedule. It's definitely doable. I God, I guess if I if I went under with the Dolphins, I probably should go over with the Patriots. Does that make sense? It does. Okay, let's do that then. I'm gonna go over. I, I could say I'm gonna say they go ten and seven this year. Ten win team, and then in 2022 though, they're like eight and nine or something. Okay. I think the Belich I think the Belichick legacy story 
Like, it, it, he bounces back a little bit this year, and then maybe it comes back to bite in, in 22. And then collapse? Yeah. And Bill's just got to slink off into yeah. retirement? Brady has two more Super Bowl rings. And then that, and they, then they both leave after twenty-two. How many more? How many? How many does he need to get like a full two hands worth? Because that's probably when you got to quit, right? Three when more. Just, when you run out of digits, three more. That's a lot. Yeah, you'd have to. But be, at that point, now you can't hold them all. Now you got to have. You, you can only win as many as the number of digits you have to store them on. Otherwise, <laughs> the photo looks ridiculous. Yeah, we don't want. We don't want to have a bad photo. So I'll go over for the Patriots. I, I've just been more optimistic about their short term success with all the crazy offseason moves i mean their only downside is that just how do you get cohesion with so many that's a good point new people coming in but no. i guess the counter to that is that like most teams are turning over 25 30 percent of their roster anyway so belichick's done a good job finding everybody's strengths and all that stuff i, I think they'll definitely be better this year yeah all right nfc east we're halfway through sam hmm. so soon i think we've been efficient right going through each team uh, efficient but thorough just about Philadelphia Eagles are first on my list here for no reason, but they're first on the <laughs> NFC East list. For no reason. There are some rumors. Um, should we just pause on the Eagles? Because we don't know if they're getting Deshaun Watson or not. You can't pause on them. That's been debunked this morning. Oh, uh, okay. So it was a report from a dude who... Maybe we shouldn't have quoted it. Well, I didn't quote I it. I like Chris. You quoted it. was Chris. It. Yeah. I didn't put him on Instagram. <laughs> Anyway, I like a, Chris. He listens to the show. There was a report this morning that the Eagles and Deshaun Watson, like, what was it, trade talks are heating up or something like that. Well, let's just discuss Subsequently, them. most people have come out and said that's not true. Well, let's and just let's though discuss they are the, discussing it, it's not close. Let's discuss what the Eagles are right now and then obviously say if they have Deshaun Watson and he's playing football, yes. it helps their prospects greatly. Massively, yes. The roster as of right now, what do we? What would you be looking for if you're an Eagles, a realistic Eagles fan? Not saying, "Hey, let's go to the Super Bowl this year." What are you looking for? Like, what, what could, what could give you a positive vibe coming out of 2021 here? I don't even know what their best scenario is. Like, in terms of what, what direction this heads. Like, in theory, the worst they are this year, given their situation with, you know, two first round picks next year, plus the second likely from the Colts for Carson Wentz. Like, this whole thing was sort of built around the idea of next year we will go all in for whatever quarterback we're going to find unless Jalen Hurts proves to be something that we don't really think he is, which is a, a, like a franchise quarterback. So, like, what is – if he plays well but not well enough that you're willing to toss him the keys to the franchise, that's not good. That doesn't help. So do you actually want them to suck? Like, Jalen Hurts is terrible – you end up with one of the be the top five picks anyway, plus the extra ones you've got. Now you can effectively get any quarterback you want, even if it's the number one overall pick. I honestly don't know what the best case scenario for Philadelphia is. What a fascinating QB room. It's Jalen Hurts, Joe Flacco, and Nick Mullins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I struggle with this because I don't – my feeling is Jalen Hurts isn't the long-term answer. Correct. Um, I liked the pick at the time because I thought he'd be a good backup. There's a chance he could be the long-term answer. And there's a chance that some other team would want to trade for him at some point too. And you just kind of, you know, hedge your bet a little bit. I didn't love the pick at the time, but a lot of that was centered around the idea that I just never really saw it in Jalen Hurts as a potential starting quarterback. So I, listen, the stuff that the NFL didn't like about Justin Fields holds the ball too long. Yeah. You know, if he, it, it, it just, it's Jalen Hurts times 10. Sure. I mean, Jalen Hurts was always um, – he wasn't very good under pressure at Alabama. He didn't face much pressure at Oklahoma. 
he hit open throws, but there was a lot of schemed up stuff and a lot of, you know, like three and a half second type of passes where he hit open stuff. And then the benefit to Jalen Hurts is what he brings to the run game. He is he is pretty accurate as far as he at least throws a catchable ball. I was surprised at his decision-making last year, which, again, didn't show up in turnovers till very late. We were talking about that on the podcast a lot. Like, oh, he, he takes care of the ball. Like, what do you – stop looking at interception totals. He's been careless with the ball. And that that started to come back and bite. I keep coming back to this, you know, do you want to build your run game around Jalen Hurts and all that stuff? My bigger issue with the Eagles as a whole is every position group feels like it's in a transition. The receivers, the offensive line, which was annually one of the best, is is in transition. You know, it, it or or just getting older with Jason Kelsey and a beat up Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson. Um, the defensive line, which we've always cited on here, is one of the league's best. With Fletcher Cox getting a little bit older, Brandon Graham getting a little bit older. Um, I will say the if you look at the secondary on paper, that could be sneaky good. The whole team the is kind of in transition right now. They're in this weird spot, which is again why I don't quite know what the best case scenario for them is, because like unless you find a quarterback that you are certain can contend, like tomorrow, half the roster needs to be turned over because they're getting old and yeah. done. Like if you're not getting your starting quarterback or the guy that you think can win a championship at that position until next year, are any of um, Zach Ertz, uh, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, Fletcher Cox, uh, are any of those guys on that roster at the point you expect to be contending for a Super Bowl? Probably not. Because that's like a quarter of your starters at this point. This is where I, I think if, if the Eagles want like a full tank season – uh, just to go to the secondary a little bit. I think that's... Look at the secondary on paper, Sam. Yeah. Darius Slay, he wasn't great last year, but again, he's he's got a history of being pretty good. Steven Nelson has a history of just being a good, solid, solid corner. Third corner could be Avante Maddox and a, a couple other guys. We'll see what happens there, right? Anthony Harris has been a, a good safety for the majority of his career. Mm -hmm. Rodney McLeod's been a pretty good safety. Like, that secondary could sneakily just keep them in games a lot plus they they'll, they will have a good pass rush again this year I, I don't like I, I've soured on the Eagles as a franchise because I don't know what the future looks like but I do think they're going to be half decent this year yeah I don't think they'll be bad this year I think there's too much that's too good for them to just completely collapse and tank like as you said the secondary is pretty good in addition like they might be reaching the end of their tenure but all the guys I just mentioned on the defensive front are still good. I mean, Brandon Graham is still a good player. Fletcher Cox is still a good player. Javon Hargrave didn't have a great year last year, but is you know he's one of those guys. It's best best shape of his life, Steve. Coming into camp, the best Fletcher? shape of his life. No, Javon Hargrave. Oh, Javon, yeah. Ready to, to light it up. Derek Barnett is solid if, if a bit of a disappointment, given what they thought he might be. Josh Sweat is there. You know, Milton Williams could be a really nice rotational piece. There's a lot of good players there on the defense. And on the offense, the same thing's kind of true, right? As, as much as Jalen Hurts probably isn't the answer, he gives you quite a high floor because of that rushing threat and the fact that he's got a big arm. And all of a sudden, you've got a receiving core that even last year, on paper, there's a lot of good players there. They just didn't seem to figure out how to put the jigsaw puzzle together so that it all functioned as a cohesive unit. But now you've got Devontae Smith as your number one. You've got Travis Fulgham still there, um, you know, Greg Ward is not a bad slot receiver. If they get anything out of Jalen Rager, that's great. Um, you still got the, the tight ends. 
the pieces are there for the offense to be okay as well. There was a lot of this. They remind me a little bit of the Raiders, where I think the Raiders have done a lot of nice things and a lot of things that I just completely disagree with. And so for every good thing, it's like it, it gets offset. I think there were some process picks that the Eagles made that made sense, like the Jalen yeah. Rager pick, picking the receiver, picking Andre Dillard a year before the starting the, the left tackle, drafting him a year before they needed one. Right. Process wise was great. Dillard just hasn't been a great player. Might not even be a starter with Jordan Mailata there. Who again? That's a great move. You grabbed an Aust- you know an Australian rugby player and developed him into a starting caliber offensive tackle, which is which is cool. That's awesome, right? I mean, so there's a lot of stuff that they've done well, but there's also holes in those key areas that we've talked about. They just feel to me like a team that's destined to go like six or seven wins, and I'm just not sure what that achieves for you. Yeah, I know. I, it, it's going to be like the. Um, it might be like the football team last like, year. You so, said six or seven. They're over under six and a half. There you go. At, yeah. uh, at DraftKings. So, like, the best case scenario for the Eagles, what is it? Because they're not – this team is not capable of winning a Super Bowl. It's not even capable, I think, of going deep into the playoffs. I mean, their best case scenario is Deshaun Watson's innocent and their future – and their quarterback. is innocent, yeah. Um, you're right. The best case scenario is probably somehow they get Deshaun Watson and hope that they can sweep all of that under the rug or move past it in some way, shape, or form which frankly seems like quite a, uh, a pie-in-the-sky concept at the moment. Um, but uh, let's assume, again, they're Watsonless for the moment. Like, what is this team's best-case scenario? I, I think it's looking to a, a future. I mean, the best-case scenario is Jalen Hurts is just better than we all expected. But, even, but There's the best-case scenario in that, in that world is they win like 11 games and get dumped out of the playoffs in the wild-card round. Yeah, but if you know, but if Jalen Hurts, so if Jalen Hurts is really good, if he's if he's as good as Kyler Murray, or well, I'm not going to say Josh Allen, but if he becomes a, a you know, so you're saying a, tier, a high tier three quarterback or tier two okay. quarterback, so you're, you're like, s- okay, we've got a good quarterback and our roster's in transition. Let's keep building. You're saying him. their absolute best case scenario is that you come out of this season convinced that actually Jalen Hurts is your quarterback of the future, and now you can start pivoting. Your two first round picks and a high second to build around him. To bu- okay, to yeah. surround him with. Talent. Now, I think an equal best case scenario is Jalen Hurts is clearly terrible, <laughs> and you win two games, <laughs> and you're drafting Spencer Rattler. <laughs> so either of those best case scenarios are you have a shot at a, having a very good quarterback, which yeah. we don't know that you have right now. You have a definitive take okay. on Jalen Hurts, which is either really good or really bad. And not just avoiding that middle. hideous quarterback purgatory middle ground yeah. of winning six games is but the I, best case scenario. But you know how I just described Cam Newton and the Patriots? Yeah. I see this world where the Eagles go and they rush for 200 yards in some games and, and have some really good offensive games. Jalen Hurts is a catalyst there. They have some other games where he throws for like 82 yards and, and three picks and it looks ugly. And again, I'm talking about this, the second, they have a good pass rush and a potentially good secondary. That's going to sneak a few wins in there too. And all of that, ha- all of that leads to the six or seven wins. Well, that that's you're what I'm saying. About. Like their yeah. their destiny appears to just be ending up in the worst possible scenario, which is six or seven wins. With all it did was take you further away from the quarterback that you need to get to replace the guy that clearly wasn't the answer. But maybe they've got the draft capital to to maneuver it. Well, they do. But the it. point is, it's a lot easier to do if you're coming from the number three overall pick than if you're coming from like number eight. It's just like it's it just gets more expensive. Is all I'm saying. Every win that Philadelphia picks up this year unless Jalen Hurts proves everybody wrong and looks like a star, takes you, makes it more difficult for you to acquire his replacement. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with the Eagles then. You're going to 
officially go over or under that six and a half? Well, I don't. I mean, I think it's the right place. <laughs> You're going to pick six and a half. There are six or seven win teams, so it's exactly the right line. If you're betting, you're plus one ten to go under. Yeah. So under, you know, you get a, a little bit of an edge there. Over is minus one thirty, so they're not, they're not the same odds. Under. I, I guess if I'm if I'm putting money down, I'd have to lean under. Yeah. They were four eleven and one last year. They're probably not dramatically better at quarterback this year. We could always be wrong though. We could always be wrong about all this stuff. Well, look, that was the hedge they made, and I think long term it wasn't a bad move to say. Look, we clearly don't really buy into Jalen Hurts, but absent of a better, of a clearly better alternative, right? And this is like people are crapping on them right now for not taking Justin Fields, right? A lot of people were in love with Justin Fields and thought that he was should be the, the number two overall pick and was a surefire superstar. Clearly, there were things about Justin Fields that the NFL as an institution didn't love, right? And forget the like, the crap that started to get thrown out about, you know, he's not a hard worker, doesn't want to forget that. That's rubbish. The stuff they didn't like was this idea that he holds onto the ball too long, doesn't necessarily um, work through the progression as quick as you're going to need. And even in some of these training camp videos, it's like, ah, oh, great pass from Justin Fields to whoever it was, one of his receivers, after like four and a half seconds of him like bouncing around back there. That's a sack in the NFL. That's not good. Um, so there's, the Philadelphia Eagles determining that Justin Fields was not a surefire bet, I don't think you can hate them for. And if they determine that, and they determine the same thing about Mac Jones, you know, the guy can't move, we don't like that. Uh, Trey Lance, the dude's played for like two minutes at the FCS level, we were scared of that. I don't think you can hate Philadelphia coming to the conclusion that the three guys after Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson were not sure enough bets that they should pick them and like commit to them as the future quarterback if they've had an eye on next year and decided that spencer rattler or sam howell whoever it is is a better option or one that they're more prepared to roll with i don't think you can hate them for basically punting on this and saying hey look we're pivoting to next year we're also not going to rule out the possibility that uh that jalen hurts is a better quarterback than everybody thinks he is but they that's punted, worth the gamble. But they punted in part because they hurt Carson Wentz's feelings and they didn't want to hurt someone else's feelings. That's a big part of why the Eagles... Did they? You think that they yeah, punted I because think, they didn't want to hurt Jalen Hurts? I think they were just coming off this situation that you always talk about. Like, oh, you can't I have don't think quarter. that had anything, anything to do with it. I mean, that's They're, what they came out, the reports they came were, out and said. The reports were that they um, really liked Zach Wilson. And when it became clear that they didn't really have a shot at Zach Wilson, they were out on this year's class. So effectively, while well, we were talking about this as a five-quarterback strong class... They said two. Right. They said it's two. And I think you have to acknowledge that like every individual team is going to have a different number. They're not going to view these guys the same. So for Philadelphia said this class is too strong in terms of franchise quarterbacks. If we can get a Trevor Lawrence or a Zach Wilson, we're in. And we'll make that happen. If those guys are gone, we don't believe in Justin Fields enough to make that the pick. And I don't think you can crap on them for that. I think that's a justifiable approach to finding your next quarterback. It's saying, we just don't buy these guys enough. We're going to look at next year. Don't just draft every quarterback. Right. It's not a – there's a degree to which if you have no possible answer at quarterback. Like, if you're rolling into next year, I, I need a I – give me another Brody Croyle because that's the one I always end up with. Give me a version of Brody Croyle. 
Just any third round? Any disastrous low-round quarterback that ended up starting for a couple of games and was never going to pan out. I was going to – Ryan Mallett. Okay, if you're rolling into 2021 and, like, Ryan Mallett is the answer, maybe you should have drafted a quarterback in the first round because there's no scenario. But there's a chance with Jalen Hurts. But there's at least a reason to say Jalen Hurts might be that guy. But from my perspective, we have to move on. We have to move on. But from my perspective, Jalen Hurts – even though I said I didn't hate the pick in the second round, I still probably wouldn't have taken him until the third. Right. So in my head, he is that third-round quarterback that I just don't know about. But he's at least there's at least a chance that, I think was, he's never better than there, Mallet, though. that was never there with Mallet or Croyle or True. whoever it is, right? And whilst you're doing that, whilst you're giving him that small chance to prove it, you've got two first-round picks, an extra high second, you're loaded up for next year. So I don't hate their approach to doing this. It's just not going to pay dividends in 2021. All right, let's go to the New York Giants here. We have three more teams to get through here, Sam. Yeah. Don't, don't lose it. Don't lose it here. I'm, Quick I'm, and efficient I'm, I'm and with great information. So this is not the time for Joe Judge. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Joe Judge. We're not going to talk about stupid fights during okay. training camp right. and everybody retiring on him. Like, is everybody, is not everybody, everybody on just track? one guy took a look at this and said, I'm out. Joe Looney. Yeah. He's out. Joe Looney just doesn't want to do little, push-ups. Little offensive line depth is gone for the Giants. Uh, pivotal year. For Daniel Jones. I am I am amazed that you have completely flipped the script. One year of a 78 grade for Daniel Jones, even though the two-year grade is like, eh, you know, pretty, eh. The two-year grade for Daniel Jones is meh, meh, meh. And you're just all in on Daniel Jones. It's a pivotal year for him. I think the Giants have done a, an excellent job of getting playmakers around him. If Kenny Galladay could stay healthy, the offensive line remains the biggest question mark. There are 32nd ranked offensive line in our preseason rankings. Yeah, it's not good, Bob. Um, I can see where it could be good. I, I can visualize it. Really? Yep. In the same way that the Jets line last year could have been good? I think the Giants have a better shot of being good than the Jets did last year. How? I think Andrew Thomas, the starting left tackle, is better than he showed as a rookie. Yes, I think that's he'll the get one better. I'll give you. Where are you getting the other four Nate Solder, from? despite what you say, is not bad. He is, <laughs> he is a solid mid-tier tackle. Okay. Now, there's, he's, either, he's either moving to right tackle... Or Matt Pert, a, a high upside third-round pick from last year, is going to beat him out. Yes. So I think either way, they're going to be solid at right tackle. So uh-huh. I, I could see this world where they're solid at both tackle spots. Now what happens inside? Nick Gates gets better just because last year was the first time he ever played center. He had a 59.7 grade. That could this get a little bit better. This is the Jets story you're selling me. It's not good. Um, I think the tackle spots can be solid. Shane Lemieux, who they seem to like more than Will Hernandez in part because they just haven't seen Shane Lemieux play that much. I honestly think that's what it is. We've seen three years of Will Hernandez, and he hasn't gotten better. He's yeah. been a disappointment, I, starting left guard. You know what I think about Shane Lemieux? I think he's like the classic football guy that coaches love. He got hurt or rolled up or something in training camp, and they were talking about how he was like, you know, strapped down, injured, waiting for the diagnosis, and was like pacing like a wild animal, they were saying. Like, guy just wants to be out there playing ball. Like he I mean, pace all you want, but he had a 32 grade last year. That's not good for your quarterback this or your is running my back. Point. But he feels like the guy that like coaches just love in terms of attitude and how he wants to play and just isn't actually good at playing football. Okay. So they, Shane Lemieux had a 32 grade last year. Yeah. He's a, he was a fifth round rookie. He could get better, but that that's the stuff that doesn't look good on paper. Lemieux to get quite a lot. Better. Nick Gates, Zach Fulton's always been, you know, average to below average at guard. Jonathan Harrison's in there adding depth. Will Hernandez is still part of the team. By the way, the, the 32 grade doesn't really 
give it the full justice either. He had a 16.9 pass blocking grade. Yeah, it's not good. Which is about 16.9 points better than just putting a stick in the ground and expecting that to stop <laughs> a, a defensive tackle. What I do like, though, is the basketball team that they've built for playmakers. Kenny Galladay, downfield threat, one of the best contested catch guys in the NFL. Darius Slayton has been a good downfield threat himself. Sterling Shepard, solid slot receiver. Kadarius Toney will probably try to steal some of those slot snaps. He could be a gimmick player slash slot receiver. Does John Ross make the team? The great John Ross, he's in there just in case, you know, just in case he could become the deep threat that the Bengals had hoped. Plus Evan Ingram. Yeah. Plus Kyle Rudolph. Rudolph, the big inline tight end. Ingram, the move tight end. Saquon Barkley coming back. No Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin's gone. So there's a lot of potential pieces here. I like their playmakers. And as I say, I think Daniel Jones has now become an underrated player. I just don't know that that offensive line is capable of giving the offense the platform it needs for any of that to matter. Like they... Not, having a bad offensive line is generally a bad thing for an offense, you know, which isn't breaking news. But I think it's a worse thing for Daniel Jones than it is for any other like quarterback hoping that he has a platform to work from. Daniel Jones's biggest single flaw right now is a Joe, Flack- Joe Flacco-ian uh, propensity to be oblivious in the pocket and just not feel what's happening around him which leads to him getting sacked a lot, which leads to him causing some of his own problems. And when he gets sacked a lot in the pocket, he fumbles. Like, not only is he, not only does he not feel the pressure coming that much, but when he does, he's not protecting the ball and loses the, the, the ball with fumbles a lot. So that's generally not a great thing. But when you team it with a bad offensive line, they both make each other worse. Like the bad offensive line is making, uh, making Daniel Jones's issues with that worse than they usually would be and his issues with that make the offensive line look worse so it's like this magnifying process for both of them yeah those things need to get better and in in a a best case world jones tidies up some of that part of his game the offensive line does you know all these positive things that i said and the playmakers are as advertised um jones in, in this weird spot where you know he didn't remember how hyped up he was remember let's just turn back the clock for a second do you remember the preseason two years ago two years ago at this time probably not hashtag danny dimes dan orlovsky went on espn and apologized one throw in we were apologized to daniel jones for for doubting him Mm -hmm. um and maybe i don't know he's been daniel jones has proven to be a solid i guess he's a solid starter he's still a bottom half of the league starter right now because there's a lot of solid starters i'm not coming off my nick Foles take my nick Foles comparison where if There'll be some runs where, where Daniel Jones might might look really good. There'll be some other runs where he looks pretty bad. I think we've seen that to this point. Um, but I think the Giants need to see more than that to commit to him beyond this season. So it's it's a big pivotal year for Jones. But it's a lot like the Tua stuff, right? Him and Tua are very similar, where they built this good group of playmakers. But if the O-line's not good again, you might still not get a really true representation of what those guys can do if they're under pressure 40 percent of the time yeah I, or I just dealing with quick pressure i genuinely just don't think that this offensive line is good enough for us to get a fair reflection of what daniel jones can be after this season i kind of feel sorry for him because of it i like the direction he's headed in which for me is you know reversing my stance on him as a draft prospect i think he's a better player than i thought he could be but i, I just don't know that he's going to have a fair opportunity to show it and i was sort of saying to austin gale yesterday that 
I would be all on board being like Daniel Jones' second team. You know, the Daniel Jones reclamation project. Didn't want any part of the, the Sam Darnold reclamation project. But I'm all for Daniel Jones. If he has a, not a great season this year because the offensive line is garbage and the Giants choose to press the reset button and move again, like if I'm a team that doesn't have a quarterback next year, I'd be absolutely for seeing if we can get something out of uh, Daniel Jones. What about defensively for the Giants here? Feisty defense last feisty, year. Feisty, yeah. I'm going to stick with the feisty defense. I think their defense it, is decent. It's they're moving. another team, right? Look at the secondary. You know, this is – you guys have trained me up, forecast guys, R&D folks. You have trained me up to, to look at the team from, from back to front, right? You, I've been trained up to look at the secondary first. And when I do that for the Giants and I see them bringing in a Dory Jackson – James Bradbury coming off a career year last year. He was excellent in a new scheme where he didn't have to go cover Mike Evans and Julio Jones every week. James Bradbury was good. Um, Jabril Peppers back there at strong safety. Logan Ryan moving to free safety over these last couple of years as he ages, but he's a solid player. They drafted Xavier McKinney a couple of years ago as this hybrid corner safety that you could play the slot. Draft Aaron Robinson who might be able to play the slot. Julian Love's another hybrid player. I like a lot of what they've done yeah. in the secondary in New York. I think their secondary is good. I think their defensive front is strong. Obviously, they loaded up on those big run-stuffing specialists, but Leonard Williams can get pressure inside, um, albeit maybe not as much as you would want to see. Blake Martinez is a good linebacker. There's some other questions. The big issue is where has the pass rush been over the past couple of seasons? They are going to hope that Aziz Ojolari will solve that. Like one of the most – I, I would imagine – he has the potential to get one of the highest volumes of pressure from a young, from a rookie, essentially. The way he's sort of built, which is very good speed, athleticism, and technician. Maybe he doesn't have the strength and the power to be able to be an every-down player, but they don't need that right now. They just right. need a guy that can actually pressure the quarterback. If he can bring that to this defense, there's a lot to work with there. Yeah, like you mentioned, it, it, they built their defensive line kind of the opposite of the way, of the, way the Bills did. Right? You talked about the Bills with undersized Ed Oliver and all that stuff. The Giants have built their defensive line like the old school 3-4. Big Leonard Williams, huge Dexter Lawrence, huge Danny Shelton comes in. I, I don't love that generally as a strategy um, just in today's NFL. But I do think there is value in, in not getting run over if you do play in that light box, right? The opposite of what we said with Buffalo. If you can play the run with fewer players in the box, if you can trust Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence to just beat single teams and double teams and and take pressure off your linebackers and not get gashed against the run. There is value in today's NFL. That is what they've done. Um, but this is a lot like the Jets across town. They haven't had a good pass rusher, legitimate yeah. pass rusher in years. And the potential starters, Lorenzo Carter, Afedi Adingbo, and Odenigbo, sorry. Um, O'Shane Zimenez, Aziz Ojolari, draft Ellerson Smith. It is a whole bunch of potential options there and they need it could be Ojolari he is he's, he had a great year in the SEC last year the good news for them is there's a really low bar the highest True. pressures anybody got from an edge rusher perspective for the team last year was 19 from Yikes. Kyla Fackrell so they had Marcus <laughs> Golden a couple years ago who it took him 500 rushes to get his yeah at least he got his them pressures like, you know? nobody had him last year so like if as I say Ojolari doesn't even need to be an every down presence or a, like a dominant pass rusher if the dude can get more than 19 in the season he's he's an upgrade over last year yeah the defense played pretty well last year considering you know the the actual talent did not look 
all that great. They were uh, they were twelfth. I'm uh, sorry, eleventh in EPA per play allowed defensively. And if you looked at that team, you'd say, eh, not really. Don't don't look like a team that would do that. And they were third as far as run defense grade goes. So that's uh, if they remain solid there, improve on the back end, which they look like they've done. Giants could be pretty good defensively. Yeah. So what do we what do we predict in this year? I'm I'm fascinated to see Jones to see the offensive line. It, their entire season is going to come down there, right? We're going to be here a year from now saying the Giants are in the QB market or Daniel Jones showed enough. Let's head to year four. I actually think we're going to be here not knowing because it'll be – well, it depends how you look at it. I think we're going to come out of this year and the Giants are not going to know if Daniel Jones is the starter or not because he hasn't had the chance with that offensive line. So you can look at that and say it's, – it's, it's essentially the Sam Darnold argument again, only I think his baseline will be higher. It's has the situation around him allowed you to get an idea of whether the quarterback is actually the future or not. So they're going to be in a situation, albeit I think with more wins, as the Jets were in, which is you could convince yourself that what we need to do is to dump everything around Darnold and continue to build around him, right? He still is the guy – we just need to put the talent around him to prove it. Or you can say what the Jets did, which is, yeah, but how certain are you of that? Because we have this shot at, at Zach Wilson right now, and that's probably a better bet. Now, the, what, what is going to complicate it, I think, for the Giants is that I don't think they're going to be picking number two overall. So they're not going to have this option of, well, it's Daniel Jones who might still be good, or it's you know one of the best quarterbacks in the draft at number two overall. They're going to be looking at that with the same kind of discussion, except they're going to be picking like eight, ten, and that I think is a harder it's a harder conversation and one that can go much more in either direction. Over under for the Giants is seven. So DraftKings, Vegas, the folks, not the team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're not giving the Giants fans much hope for year three, right? And of I think, Daniel Jones. I think that's the right kind of area again. Like they are were, they better than the Eagles? I think they're better than the Eagles. Unless, uh, look, I, I ranked the I ranked, I ranked the line thirty second. Yeah. Despite my positive spin on what could happen and, and expecting some improvement in key Which areas, is how Des bad it is. Yeah. Despite, um, but if they get a little bit better, I, I, I think this is a better Giants team than Eagles team. They have a better quarterback. I would let's say the receiving options probably better, but it's close. They have uh, some a much would, worse offensive line. Some would say Jalen Hurts was the best uh, quarterback in the NFC East last year. Some were wrong. Um, <laughs> they, the defense I could go – it's probably better than Philadelphia's at this point. I, I think they're very similar. Um, I, I think Daniel Jones is better. Seven wins, though, is a lot for a team that has an offensive line that terrible. Saquon, man. Saquon's not going to overcome that offensive line. That's the that's the thing with Saquon. He he's not an he's not an O line overcomer. But right. if you give him the line, which is another thing, he'll You're rush coming for out of the season in all big plays. We're going to be coming out of next season. It's like, oh well, Saquon wasn't the same guy after the knee injury. Like we're going to be we're going to be Todd Gurleying Saquon Barkley and writing off Daniel Jones all because the offensive line was horrendous. I'm going to go under the seven. Yep, under same. the seven for the Giants. I'm sorry. All right, two more teams. Dallas Cowboys are next. They're gonna they're gonna bounce back this year, man. Yeah. Are they the favorites in the NFC East? I don't know. Are they? What is what does your DraftKings say? Well, I got to get to the other two teams. Let's see. The Cowboys they got them over under nine, 
And then Washington is over under eight and a half. So it goes Cowboys, Cowboys, football team, Giants, Eagles per DraftKings. We have been restored to the status quo of preseason, which is assuming that Dallas is a contender and they're going to go to the Super Bowl and this is the year. This is the year, man. Right. And that last year, obviously, we that was taken away because Dak Prescott got hurt. Now he's back, so we're we're rolling to the Super Bowl again. Um, and look, the offense in Dallas could be special. Like, there's a lot of talent in that group, uh, and the offensive line. It's a bigger question mark now than it's been from for most of the past several years, but it still should be pretty good. At which point, everything pretty there. good if they're healthy. The the the, the difference with what ifs. It's with the Jets line and all these other things we've said before. The Giants line, I just said. The what-ifs are like, what if this guy's actually good instead of bad? The Cowboys question offensive line is just, what if a guy can just stay healthy the whole year? That's Tyron Smith. Uh, Lyle Collins opted out last year, so they missed him. And he's had – no, he had the hip injury last year, right? He didn't opt out, Lyle. So so what if they just stay healthy? Right, Zach Martin's back. There's a yeah, in Zach Martin's back, and he needs to stay healthy. Connor Williams had the the third year breakout at guard and graded at seventy. He's a good solid player. So the what ifs for the Cowboys are just health. If Tyron Smith at left tackle, Connor Williams at left guard, Zach Martin at right guard, Lyle Collins at right tackle are healthy, they're top five ish type of offensive line. Now they don't have Travis Frederick at center anymore. Tyler Biotish likely scheduled to start once again. He had a fifty three grade as a rookie, but. A promising run blocker who could are coming out of college at Wisconsin. If you have one weakness on the offensive line, I yeah. think you're you're right. okay. Four fifths of that NFL. line should be pretty good. Yeah, so that should be better. Dak is back and he's throwing. I think by the end of the year, C.D. Lamb is is right up there with Amari Cooper as the top option in this offense, and Michael Gallup becomes maybe the best number three receiver in, in the entire NFL. Yeah, that doesn't mean slot receiver; it just means third option, right? So that trio is fantastic. We ranked them number two in our receiver tight end rankings. Even though Dak's coming off the injury, though, um, I get I do a little Mississippi radio every week. Big Dak fans down there, they're like, "What do you want to see more from Dak?" And I keep coming back to, I want to see him take over games. I want to see Dak led games. And I know he had some last year. Some, you know, they were down thirty, and he's just you know chucking it around. But I want to see games where he is the focal point of the offense, and they go in and just chuck it forty times, forty five times a game in. And he's efficient, and he makes good decision after good decision, and he's the catalyst for wins. That wasn't the early in his career. It was like, oh, it's Zeke and the run game and play action and all that stuff. I think for Dak to take that next step, he's got to be the catalyst and and lead lead them to some wins as you know the guy throwing the ball left and right. Yeah, I mean, I think he can be. I don't think your numbers weren't favorable to him, right? After last year, the high volume, no, forty attempt so. games, but he was wasn't. just. And, and just to just to clarify here, it's not like you just go throw the ball 50 times every game. But like we said with the Bills, if there's a game where the matchup favors your team and it favors the Bills because they have three guys that are tough to cover, the Cowboys should have the advantage every week. They have three guys who are tough to cover. They shouldn't be trying to feed Zeke and Tony Pollard or whatever it is. It should be Dak and his receivers in a race to 30 points every single week and then say, hey, Dan Quinn, just don't give up more than 29 yeah. defensively. And also, like, the Zeke and Tony Pollard are both capable receivers. Like, it, don't don't necessarily say, okay, we have these guys, we need to run the ball. Like, use them in the pass game as well. Like, lean on the idea that you have the three of the best receivers in the NFL and you've got these guys that can be threats out of the backfield when things go awry and you need to lean on other players. Don't, like, just don't 
fall into this trap of saying Zeke Elliott's on a monster amount of money. Let's load him up with 30 carries a game and spell him with Tony Pollard. Like, I'm not against featuring those guys in the offense, just not necessarily the way it's being talked about. But Dallas's big question is the defense. Like, can it hold up its end of the bargain? It was a disaster last year. Obviously, things have been changed. You know, new uh, scheme, new coaching staff come in. Can they be better? Theoretically, it's a safer defense, right? I mean, Mike Nolan came in last year, and the big thing, Richard Sherman was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast talking about, you know, Sherman loves the, he loves the Dan Quinn cover three scheme anyway, but he was just saying the, um, the simplicity of a defense versus you know oh we're gonna run cover two and we're gonna run this and run that and there was busted coverages left and right um just the simplicity of it should make it better at least when you know early in the season it was it was rough yeah the question i have how are they how are they squeezing all these good linebackers onto the field well how many of them are good how many <laughs> that's well, a bigger question mark at this point what happened to jalen smith and leighton vander Esch, besides injuries for vander Esch, but Two, three years ago, it looked like the best young linebacking yeah. core in the NFL. Like right was. up there with Seattle and Bobby Wagner, um, KJ Wright, as far as a duo goes. Um, so there, there are a lot of questions, but I think they'll be better, right? I think they'll be better than what we saw the first half of last year. It got a little better as the season went on, but the first half was horrible while the offense was tearing it up when Dak was was healthy. Yeah, it has to be better than last year. The question is how much better and can it be enough to – you know, to help the offense out. Like, I think that offense will genuinely be one of the best units in the NFL. Um, I'm pretty sure I ranked them as a tier one unit when I was ranking the offenses. If not, I should have. Uh, Where is it? No, I didn't. Tier two. So anyway, I think they're capable of being a tier one offense. Um, The question is, every one of those tier one offenses needs a defense to at least be okay. Otherwise, you're not a good enough overall unit as a team to beat the best teams in the NFL, which is what you're going to need to do if you roll into the playoffs. So Kansas City's defense got good enough for the Chiefs to be Super Bowl winners as opposed to just Super Bowl uh, contenders. Dallas's defense needs to be able to prove it can do that. And they've made some adjustments in, uh, in terms of coaching and scheme. They've made some adjustments in terms of playing personnel. But is it enough? Like their defensive tackles still look like a pretty significant weakness. And they were getting annihilated at times last year like just blown off the line of scrimmage to the point where you know running actually becomes definitely the thing you should do interesting breakdown on the dallas defense last year because i want to talk about those tackles 24th in epa per play allowed not good 28th in overall run uh, defense grade right but run defense grade was 26th coverage grade was 27th so those are all bad but their pass rush dallas's pass rush was still 10th so it is one of those hey just rush the passer that'll protect your secondary it was not the case for dallas and the weakness of defensive tackle much like the giants haven't had pass rushers for a while the jets haven't had pass the cowboys have been so weak on the defensive interior for a while and rolling into this year your boy tristan hill was bad last year mm-hmm. neville gallimore was all over the place as a rookie they bring in Carlos Watkins and Brent Herb. It's just not looking good. Now, they they tried to address it in the draft. Osa Adigizua and uh, Quinton Bohannon, who's a monster nose tackle. But they're two you know, mid- and late-round rookies. I don't know how much they're going to depend on those guys. But that is definitely something to watch. Again, you don't need to be dominant on the defensive interior, but you don't want to have a major weakness. Yeah. And that's what Dallas has had these last few years.
Right. So I'm, I'm just generally interested in how this group is going to come together and how much better it can be than a year ago. The most interesting question on the defense is either those defensive tackles or how they fit five linebackers on the field. So now there's talk about Micah Parsons being a pure edge. Yeah. Right? I mean, so they had they have Demarcus Lawrence, who is very, very good. He has he has turned into one of the most dependable. Regardless of his sack total. Regardless season. of his sack total, he's turned into one of the most dependable edge rushers in the NFL. Randy Gregory is one of the best just pure you know, third down type of pass rushers, but they want Micah Parsons in there too. Now, Parsons, again, just there's a difference between blitzing and rushing the passer. Blitzing is, you know, you're going to be lined up on a backer or you could have a free run at the quarterback. Beating a tackle one-on-one is difficult. Micah Parsons never was asked to do that in college. It's He might have the skill set to do it, but when you're predicting who's going to be good at that, you usually want to see like 400 reps of it and say, oh, in these 400 reps, this guy was really good in college. That he'll be good at it in the NFL. We don't have that for Parsons. So I don't know that he's going to be a pure pass rusher. But if you're talking to Marcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory off the edge and Micah Parsons moving around and getting him on uh, running backs and stuff like that, that could be a nice little pass rush package. Yeah. I mean, I'm just curious as to how they fit this whole group together. They've just got so many linebackers now. Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch, Micah Parsons. Jabril uh, Cox. They also signed to play safety. They si- well, they signed, signed Neil, to play linebacker, right. rather. They signed a safety to play linebacker, right. and they have five legitimate guys who could play there. Yeah. So how does that fit together, or are you just comfortable with the depth that gives you? But remember, I, like, not just you're not dealing with a three-linebacker league anymore. It's a two-linebacker league. Most player, most teams are not having three guys on the field for any extensive period of time. We also have the secondary. Malik Hooker comes in, maybe in a scheme that's much better fit, fit for his skill set. Now he's played a lot of, he's played injured, he's he's had a lot of injuries and all that stuff. But as a pure free safety, that's what he looked like he could be at Ohio State, a pure single high free safety. I think he's better with his, you know, judging the ball down the field than he is, you know, from two high looks. Uh, Kelvin Joseph, they draft to play corner. Remember, they missed out on Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn. I think that mm-hmm. was a big uh, a big loss for the Cowboys. And then Trayvon Diggs in year two could be a better fit in Quinn's scheme. So, Yeah, I mean, I, the, the secondary, I think, will be solid. I think we saw enough from Trayvon Diggs late in the season to say he will actually be a reasonable corner. Um, and I think there's there's talent there to be capable, but a huge amount of it is the scheme getting better. Like, Again, those guys, their lives get made a lot easier by not being in the scheme they were in last year. This is what could really screw them over again, though. Yeah, the scheme will help, but if if the secondary is... Kelvin Joseph had a 70 grade in the SEC last year at Kentucky. He's an incredible athlete, kind of a boomer bust player. Trevon Diggs has been proven to be a boomer bust player. This is a... That might be what we see in the secondary for the Cowboys. Some games it looks good, some games it doesn't. Which turns it back to the offense. I think a pass-heavy, DAC-led offense. And let me just make this comparison, right? Remember early career, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson. They were all guys who, they won a lot of games. They were probably in more game manager type of roles. But they, were, they all played good, efficient football. And then there was a point in their careers where they took over, right? Tom Brady took over his team. Big, Big Ben took over the Steelers. Russell Wilson took over. And they became the guy, not just, hey, he's a game manager. Does Dak have him in? Does Dak have that in him? Because it's kind of a similar start to their careers, right? Other than, you know, all those other guys won Super Bowls, sure. Um, but Dak has won a lot of football games, as if you attach that to the quarterback. They've won a lot. He's played good, solid football. 
He's been considered more of a complimentary piece rather than the guy. Is it time for him to be the guy? And do you like that comparison of those other three types? Yeah, I think we started to see that last year was they were they had turned the keys over to Dak and it was no longer this offense that people thought Dak Prescott needed to run, which is, you know, a little bit more of those sort of protected, sheltered type of role. There's always the the debate with Russell Wilson, with with Dak Prescott, with some of these quarterbacks that you can't let him go out there and be Patrick Mahomes, right? Which is, this is your offense. We go as you go. You're going to pass the ball as many times as it needs for us to win this game. There's always been the idea that like the Dak Prescotts of the world, the Russell Wilsons, they just need to be protected and sheltered a little bit more than that. You can't really rely on them to do that. And it's not entirely illogical. Like you can't rely on most quarterbacks to do that. It's why Patrick Mahomes is a freak, like a, a complete rarity and a, a, a unique talent because he's capable of doing that. It just doesn't matter. Um, most quarterbacks aren't, but we started to see, I think last year in particular, that Dallas was prepared to drop that as a concept and to say, you know what, Dak Prescott, A, he's, he's been the guy since he came in here. Maybe we lean into that and just say, screw it. We've got receivers to play with now. We've got a good offensive line. Let him go nuts and see what happens. I want to see it, man. I want to see Dak is accurate, makes good decisions. Big-time throw rate is one of those things. I want to see more down the field from Dak. I think he has it in him. Over under nine here, man, for the Cowboys. Over. I'm going over as well. The under is plus 115, so that's the uh, the underdog in this in this equation. A lot of people are going over. It's minus 140. I'm going over nine. For the Cowboys, I'm buying into the preseason hype for the Cowboys. The C.D. Lamb hype alone. C.D. Lamb, yeah. Is he going to be better than Amari? Amari's so, dealing with injuries. That's not going to help. Sometimes in my head, if you draft like another receiver, I just and he, he's playing with a superstar, I just always assume the superstar is the current player is better. Like even when Randy Moss showed up and very clearly he was better than Chris Carter early, something about like, well, Chris Carter, everybody else, he's established. I mean, you know, but Moss might be a, a different case. Anyway. Um, like it, uh, I didn't know that Randy Moss would just overtake Jake Reed yeah, right yeah. away. You know, Jake Reed's a good established receiver. Randy Moss being the poor man's Brian Edwards. If you listen to training camp, hype. <laughs> is he getting hype again this year? Oh, dude, it's insane. Oh, John, I have a theory. I John have a theory. Gruden. John Gruden has been comparing him to To again. Right now, the Raiders beat has been kind of joking with it, so they've been comparing him to Randy Moss as well. And then uh, Derek Carr said he was compared his route running to Devontae Adams. So right now, Brian Edwards is a a hybrid of T.O., Randy Moss, and Devontae Adams. Drop a Don Hudson uh, comp in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm no expert, but if he ends up being some sort of combination of those three, he'll be pretty good this year. I have a theory that camp hype, it's kind of like team hype and all that stuff. It shows up a year later. Because last year, Edwards was getting crazy camp hype, and I was buying into it. This year, I'm really buying into it. Let's go all in, Brian Edwards. So who, uh, other than Brian Edwards, who had great hype last year? I have no idea. I don't have evidence for my theory. Okay. But uh, we'll go back and take a look at You need to give me – because that's, that's, a, that's a draft league winning strategy if it's true. Yes. You get need them, to give me some names. Get them a year later after the hype. I'll have to go back and look at the archives last There's year. There's also the players that get hype every year. And Dante Moncrief yes. is your guy. Or um, Trent Taylor is always a big camp, camp hype guy. Yeah, Trent Taylor's like kicking ass and receiving drills all the time, and it's then legit yeah. can't cover that guy. Where's where's it where's it happen? All right, let's wrap up this show. I love team preview, Sam. I love doing this. We get to go in depth, give every team some love. So let's not slack, even though it's getting late here. Washington football team, hmm. they're rounding out the NFC East preview here. I, they've got some hype too. Again, their over under is eight and a half. 
Uh, that's second highest in the NFC East. They are the defending NFC East the champions. Defending. I, I just think champions. what Ron Rivera did last year with this team, who, like, if, if people go back and listen to our preview last year, we probably looked up and down this roster and said, uh, they've got a good defensive line. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And Dwayne, and Dwayne Haskins was the quarterback at the time, and – He's got nobody to throw to, and the line's not that great, and the secondary's got nobody, and all that stuff. And they had one of the best defenses in the league last year. Don't know if they could replicate that, but defensive line's excellent, and their offense could be sneaky good. Plus, you got Fitzmagic coming in. I mean, I think the defense could be could replicate that easily. That's the thing, is that they, they didn't sort of rest on their laurels and say, well, the defense is good, let's move on. They added reinforcements. They draft uh, Jamin Davis okay, linebackers are struggling right now to hit the ground running, so it might not pay off this year, but it's a good long-term move for them to address that position. Um, Cole Holcomb played pretty well last year, so that he might continue to be in that role. William Jackson III comes in to replace Ronald Darby. That has the potential to be an upgrade. At the very minimum, should be a lateral move. So I think the defense could easily be as good as it was a season ago. And that defensive front is just insane. They're, um, they're, not only are they good, and you know all first round talents and all those kinds of things they're ridiculously young like all of those guys are like 24 or younger um matt ionitis is like the old man of the group and he's 27 or something it's an insanely young group and you know chase young was really good as a rookie could be a superstar year two um we're still seeing guys like montez sweat get better jonathan allen was good like that group could be way better than it was a year ago just because they're so young um, so I think the defense could easily be as good as it was last year. And then the offense, I'm actually really excited to see how it plays. If you're a football team fan, go check out the PFF Daily Archive. We did break down and maybe even declared the Washington football team's defensive front the best. The best young defensive front in all of football. It's in your PFF Daily Archive. Don't forget, full whole separate podcast. We do it every single day, Monday through Friday. About 10 minutes of quick-hitting NFL analysis. So yeah, the defensive line... It's awesome. It, it really, it's right up there. I think as far as defensive front or pass rushers and the whole deal, it's right up there among the best in the NFL. What they did in the secondary last year, got getting a good year out of Ronald Darby, and you replace him now with William Jackson the third. You've got Kendall Fuller back there. They have guys that have played good football. And William Jackson, one of the, he was our top free agent corner. Yep. Um, we fully acknowledge that maybe the best year that he had was a few years ago, but it, you know it's. It's not easy playing corner every single year, you know, being that, you know, top shutdown outside corner. We, there's not a whole bunch of guys in the NFL that have done it. William Jackson, the third, at least has the skills to do it. So that's why I think the potential is there across the board. Landon Collins has had some really good years at safety. Cameron Curl was excellent at free safety as a rookie for the football team. Uh, they have all the pieces, right, like you said, to replicate it defensively. Now, offensively, the biggest question mark in Washington the last few years to me was their pass catchers it was terry mclaurin they they great pick with terry mclaurin a couple years ago yeah but he had no friends now he does no he have friends. friends now he's got friends <laughs> they, yeah this i haven't this is another this is like your uh i haven't scientifically proven this theory it's or, all right or throw it up numbers there. but they their defense appears to have collected the largest number of mid-round my guys of any team i've seen so far buried on his depth chart yeah currently sit daryl roberts greg stroman David Mayo and Matt Ioannidis, or Matt Ioannidis isn't buried, but those are four guys. Was Greg Stroman? He was one of your guys, huh? Yeah, yeah. 
Virginia to, Tech? Did you miss anyone right? else? I don't know. I haven't even looked in the, the third string. Trying to see a third and fourth string. Nobody else. But that's that's four of my guys from the mid-rounds sitting on this defense. That's good. This is your team. You're going to watch so much football team this year, aren't you? Yeah. With all, you know, David Mayo is a backup. What a team. What a team that is. Well, you know, backup slash just waiting for his chance. So going back to the playmaker situation, Terry yeah. McLaurin, uh, one of the rare combinations of legitimate deep threat, right? I mean, 4-3 range type of speed that shows up on the field. That plus route running. You don't always get deep, deep threat plus the ability to just get open short and intermediate. Terry McLaurin has that. Curtis Samuel's coming off a career year where the Panthers finally used him in a Curtis Samuel role. You know, two years ago, they said, hey, go just be a deep threat wide receiver, just not your skill set whatsoever. Last year, a little bit more in the slot, you know, a little bit more in the backfield and all over the place. Uh, Ron Rivera did have Curtis Samuel previously, so hopefully they do tap into that same skill set, though. He did, but he didn't use him that way. He didn't. Like, I know that's what I'm saying. So it's the, the weird irony is that the the most sort of effective and versatile Curtis Samuel has been was the moment Ron Rivera left and somebody else took over the the responsibility for determining how he was going to be used. So now you're like, well, what do, do they actually tap into that? Because when you look at the players that they have at the skill positions, they are loaded up with these guys that can be matchup problems and move around the formation. Curtis Samuel, uh, Antonio Gibson obviously has receiving skills. J.D. McKissick was actually the guy getting that role last year um, and didn't do badly at it. So they've got like a ton of those guys that can do that kind of thing, but haven't exactly shown that much desire or propensity to do it. I would love to see them tap into that more. But even just looking at, this, at the talent level of those guys, Gibson, McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, De'Ami Brown in the draft, um, Adam Humphreys in the slot, Antonio Gandy-Golden is still there, Steven Sims. Um, there's talent here. Uh, Cam Sims as well. There's talent here for that group to be a very good set of receivers for Fitzpatrick to throw to. All right, we'll get to Fitzpatrick in a minute. I just want to discuss the offensive line really quickly here. It looked like an offensive line that on paper last year was Brandon Scherf and friends, but guys got better. You know, Chase Rolier, who I love, he's, he, that's one of my guys. They have my, this is my guys on both sides of the ball now for both of us. Chase Rolier was awesome at Wyoming. Not so great early in his NFL career, but had another one of those third, fourth year breakout type of guys, right? Was Became a one of the higher graded centers in the league last year. Uh, Cornelius Lucas, another one of my guys. Anytime you have a slow-moving six-foot-nine tackle, I love him, and that's Cornelius Lucas. And I say that with admiration because he's not the smoothest mover, but he knows he's a good blocker, which is what you want your tackles to be. He's a good player. Lucas stepped in and played some solid left tackle last year. He's now a backup. He's one of the better swing tackles in the league. They bring in Charles Leno, the epitome of the league average tackle, to you know potentially start on the left side here. Eric Flowers. Yeah, for all the hype that he has, a first-round tackle has become like a half-decent guard in his, here in his career, right? They have a good offensive line. And then Samuel, the big question is going to be a right tackle. They released Morgan Moses and said, second-rounder Samuel Cosme, go ahead, go ahead. You're probably going to be the starting right tackle here. He's getting some camp hype as well. Yeah. I mean, if they're right, that's fine. It's always one of those moves that I'm a little bit – I'm always, I'm always um, re reluctant to voluntarily get rid of a good player. I know, I know sometimes you have to do it. It's a salary cap move. It frees up space, all those kinds of things. And sometimes you just have to take that chance. But, God, if you can avoid it, don't let good quality starting players leave. 
Because sometimes you're going to be wrong. When you I think feel, you have the replacement, it's bad. I would feel better about their offensive line if Morgan Moses was still there. Yes. Cosme starts out as a backup, and you ease him in when he's ready. And if and, it's clear, like, in, over the course of the season, fine, make the move. Yeah. And you still have the guy as a backup. But don't just, like, assume before you've seen him play in anger that, yeah, we're comfortable. We can make that switch right now. So that in Antonio Gibson's in the backfield. When you talk about the ability to create mismatches, you know, Antonio Gibson is a lot like a Curtis Samuel, a running back, wide yeah. receiver hybrid in college. And uh, Gibson ran the ball really well last year. I think behind this line, he'll, he'll do fine. So it still all comes back down to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, so yes, Fitzpatrick, who, look, signing Ryan Fitzpatrick as your starting quarterback at this point in his career and the world is not an exciting thing as a team, right? You're, you don't have a quarterback that you think you know will win a Super Bowl and can be the future and a long-term answer and all those things that everybody wants. On the other hand, it's, it's not a bad thing to do if you have a very good team around him. Fitzpatrick over the last three seasons is A, playing the best football of his career, B, playing at like a league average level, albeit via a roller coaster methodology week to week. Um, but when you consider what they had last year, it's like the perfect example of it can be a lot worse. You know, Dwayne Haskins didn't work out and really didn't work out. Alex Smith came in, steadied the ship, won some games. But Alex Smith was like a shell of his former self after that incredible comeback. Didn't play particularly well in winning those games. Fitzpatrick is a big step forward over both those guys and should give them enough ability at that position to win games. There's also the, you know, the small matter of, hey, Taylor Heineke is still on this roster, Ooh, and that yeah. dude had the best game of anybody in the playoffs last year against was, the ultimate Super Bowl champions. Against the Bucs, Heineke was just spectacular. Right. He, he, big, he had seven big-time throws, I think it was. He ran for a touchdown. Big-time I mean, run. Big-time run. He had big-time everything, right. Heineke. We'll see he what Heineke incredible. ends up doing, but that was exciting. He was incredible. And look, I would if I was a betting man, I would bet money on him playing at some point this year. Yeah, and he could. He definitely could. I mean, the thing with Fitz, though, as the starter. Um, it's only a matter of time before you get fed up with a couple of bad games and you throw in Heineke. Yeah, so maybe Heineke, I just don't know. Heineke was good in college, Old Dominion. He was good yeah. in college, a good grade in college and yeah. all that stuff. He was good when we saw him play last year. There was something too, like even when the Dolphins brought in Josh Rosen and all that stuff, and it's like, oh, you have to see if Josh Rosen's the future. Fitz was still the guy. There's this comfort level with the vet. Even though Fitz is all over the place sometimes with his decision-making, um, he tried to throw the ball through K.J. Wright one time last year, through him. Not great. And he's got a high school arm, Fitz. But there's something intriguing about Fitz and his high school level arm. Heineke's also aggressive with this group of playmakers yeah. and just giving oh, these guys opportunities. I, I love the fit of Fitzpatrick within this offense. And I think it's the move you make if you don't really have a shot at a clear and obvious upgrade. Again, it's like Philadelphia was presented with that dilemma, essentially chose to punt on this year and give a shot to Jalen Hurts. Washington had a similar dilemma, not as well positioned, so it was even easier for them. And they decided that we don't really have a great answer. Let's bring in Fitzpatrick and let's just play it year by year. Like we have a good team. We're capable of winning right now. Fitzpatrick is good enough that we can win. Let's get him for this year and figure out next year, next year. And let's just do this season by season until we do have a clear shot at somebody. But Fitzpatrick, as much as he will give you league average play over a season, it will come via a couple of spectacular games, a couple of disastrous games, that kind of run. And if he has two or three of those in a row, 
he's, you know, whatever he is, late into his 30s, noodle arm, doesn't, you know, there's a lot of reasons to not love Fitzpatrick. So I would imagine at some point there will be a run of those games and they will throw in Taylor Heineke, who, you know, he's what? He's over 30 at this point. He hasn't had this career where he's proven much. But there's a lot of things saying that he could be an option, right? As you say, good college grades, spectacular last year in the playoffs against the Super Bowl champions. And he's graded well in three out of the four preseasons he's had in the NFL. So none of this is like proof that he'll be good. Right. But it all says that, hey, he's worth a look. Um, And just, you know, I want to go back to Fitzpatrick's game grades because the reason why you don't want to overrate 190 plus grade in the playoffs, like Fitz last week, last year, week to week, 52 in week one. That's not good. 71, that's right in the middle. Then 91, that's elite. Yep. Then 53. Then 84, right? then 50, 55, so he's back to being bad again. 62, and then his last game was at the Raiders when he comes off the bench, has an 82 grade, has only 13 dropbacks. But he has the one of the best, most ridiculous throws of the entire season to, to keep the Dolphins' playoff hopes alive and, and win the game against I, the Raiders. Like That's the nature of the, the, Fitz, the Fitz coaster. I don't remember what the numbers were, but over the last couple of years, he has one of the highest numbers of 90-plus grades of any quarterback in the NFL. And remember, he's been benched in like every one of those years. Let's do you it. Now, I mean? 2018, his first two weeks, it was one of the best starts in NFL history. Yeah. I, 96 best, I and 95. And he had eight touchdowns, one pick. He had over 400 yards in each game. He had 400 yards the next week, and then it didn't really matter because it was an average grade, and then he had a 40 grade. So he had 96s and 95s and then a 40 grade in week four. So, yeah, there's, um, there's some volatility there. Right. But here's what I'll say, too. I just want to wrap it up with this. Ron Rivera has a history of doing a really good job of getting the most out of his teams. It doesn't mean that the Panthers, when he was there, were always great. But they always played a little bit above, I think, where their roster was. Even when they were 15-1. and one. That wasn't a 15-1 level roster, but they were 15-1. And, and this so, roster's good. Yeah, and this is, a, this is a good, solid roster that Washington has, and I think Ron Rivera gets the most out of them. Yeah, and I, again, I've mentioned this a lot of the times, but Ron Rivera last year was battling cancer. Like, yeah. I don't know what effect that had. I have no idea how to quantify that. But again, there's no way you can tell me that wasn't a negative for the team overall in terms of like how it affected his ability to manage, to go, to game plan, to all these things. There's no way Ron Rivera was operating at 100% last year. I mean, he's, he might, I mean, he says he's immunocompromised right now, but he's not battling, he's not actively battling cancer anymore on a weekly basis. That has to help what he's capable of doing to help the team from exactly the standpoint you're talking about, from making the most out of the talent that he has. Over under eight and a half for the football team. Over. Over. Let's go over. I'm buying in. So you think Dallas wins? The, who wins the NFC East? Uh, I think Washington win the NFC East. All right, I'll predict Dallas to win the NFC East. Your AFC East prediction, because I don't think we officially had one. Buffalo. But wins. if you said over Buffalo, then it's probably Buffalo. Yeah, I'll take win. the Bills as well, the AFC East. All right. I think it was a great show. I think it's great. Well, going that's all the matters. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, we'll have a little bit of news and notes at the top of each show. We'll quickly fly through each team 30 minutes at a time. At a time. Well, and also next week we'll have the Lions review show to see if your predictions were, were correct. If the Lions oh, yeah, managed the, to beat South Africa or not. The rugby Lions. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Um, the British so, and Irish Lions, as they're called, Steve. Oh, sorry. Appreciate it. Of course I know that. <laughs> anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. It was our AFC NFC East preview show. We're going to be going division by division. 
Uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button and uh, go subscribe to the PFF NFL Daily. I owe some subscriptions to at least one or two people that's uh, that supplied emails. I will get to you, um, but send me some screenshots that you're subscribed to both our podcast, the NFL podcast, and the PFF NFL Daily, and you'll be in the running for a free PFF Edge. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, and don't forget the Flash 25 sale. It's going to be gone in just six days. Flash 25, Flash 25, 25% off over at PFF.com. Thanks, everybody. See you Monday.